welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today is a very special episode. It is great to be back. Before we get started, I want to say thank you to all of our supporters. By the time this interview is released, I made an announcement earlier. I'll be making an announcement on social media. But for everybody, for the first time, we will be, well, for the second time, actually, we will be headed to Los Angeles, California, December the 15th through December the 20th. That's a special announcement. We'll be doing some interviews with comedians at the Ice House Lab. Um, comedy club also we have some other entrepreneurs as well so stay tuned for more details but thank you to all our supporters and hopefully you guys will support us as we go continue to follow our journey today we have a very special guest with us today this interview has been a couple of months in the making two or three months in the making i know we've both been really busy um when it first started um when i first reached out i was actually just getting started just signed a, a, a deal to you know do some work with south carolina state um, then I've been doing some work with the Charlotte Hornets as well. So it's been a few months in the making, but we're finally here. We're here. Absolutely. So I have with me today retired CW2, the founder of Foresight Energy and the founder of Sheena Preneur, Miss Sheena Parker. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Yes, a few months, but we're finally here. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it took a lot of time, um, yeah. but like I say, it's, it's always... I never like to rush anything. It happens when it's supposed to happen. Agreed. And um, I'm glad we were able to, you know, get this together because I was like, man, I hope hopefully she could, remembers that I reached out to her and she's not too I, busy. Yeah. So I, I know I wanted to make sure we were able to, you know, find a location and get everything squared away. So thank you again for taking the time to sit with me. No, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So kind of just starting out, you know, I always love to, you know, see what entrepreneurs have become. But to me, it's always more important to just kind of like follow somebody's journey of like what they went through right. to get to where they are because who you become in that process mm -hmm. is very important to your success so kind of so we're definitely going to get into your story of like entrepreneurship but kind of just giving people like a, a, a little backstory about about yourself um mm -hmm. where are you originally from i'm originally from brockton massachusetts okay no one knows where that is so if no you <laughs> No clue. So if you ever heard of Cape Cod, that's where the Kennedys are from. We're about 20 minutes north of Cape Cod. So 20 minutes south of Boston, 20 minutes north of Cape Cod for a reference point. It's a very small city. Um, it used to be a factory city that all the factories closed down. And then you're left with this, this city where no one can get a job. So essentially, when you think of Massachusetts, people think Boston and it's that's rich all and about. all this stuff. No, that wasn't my reality. So really small city. How would you describe yourself, you know, growing up um, in your, your early childhood? How would you describe yourself with your personality? Um, I think I was always super ambitious. Uh, you know, you, you think about things when you're going through them. I have a very clear recollection of how my mental state was during that time, mm -hmm. luckily. Um, so I just was always ambitious. I never knew why, because I had a very, very troubling childhood. So... I um, was just always trying to fix things, always trying to hustle money. I don't know where it came from. There was nobody in my family that did anything remotely close to business. So I just was like, I need money, so I'm going to sell this baseball card or whatever. Like, I was mm -hmm. just always looking for a way to make it out without even knowing I was trying to make it out, per se. Mm -hmm. And for most of the interviews that I do, a lot of times, and I've said this before, most of the time, a lot of people that um, come from family entrepreneurs, then that's what they see growing up. So that's what they choose to do. And like my background was a, a nine to five family. So I saw that. But once I got into the workforce, I was like, 
I don't really the same me. The same exactly. <laughs> like I, I like being able to create things. So it kind of not saying that it's impossible to do, but it's like when you see something growing up, it's kind of like that's what you you know you try to go you follow tradition and you know that's what you're supposed to do. Right. But for you, so so you didn't see anybody as an entrepreneur. No one even had a job. Like nobody, everybody was on public assistance. Like getting on public assistance was the goal. Mm. That was it. So I I tell my kids I'm from Jupiter because I have no idea why I thought the way I thought, why I fixed things. Like I thought I was gonna be like some sort of mechanic. I didn't know that you could fix computers and fix, you know, I was just doing these things. But the closest thing that I had ever heard of was like, I'm probably gonna be a mechanic because I fix things. Mm -hmm. So it was just, you know, the only one that had a job, my aunt, my great aunt, she worked in a factory for like 40 years. That was it, no one else had a job. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was TV or, or what it was, but I just, didn't see anything that led me to the paths that I went. So what kind of, did your family have any kind of goals or expectations for you growing up or did they expect you to kind of like, you know, follow suit and just, uh, um, I guess because I was always so ambitious, you know, like my grandmother raised me. So my grandmother okay. and my grandmother's sister, who was my great aunt who worked in the factory, they used to just always say, they did give me encouragement. You're so smart. You're, you're going to be someone that was basically the only, as far as, that would go um but they didn't have a path they didn't have a path for me because they didn't have a path themselves like mm -hmm. my grandmother had a fourth grade education so she her thing was like graduate from high school that was it it wasn't mm -hmm. anything you know what are you going to do with your future it was just a dream of hers to graduate from high school so there was no other thing that i could really think about mm -hmm. did school kind of um was school something of interest to you or was it something that you felt like was kind of forcing? It's like you just had to, you know, just go. Of course, education is important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to a certain point, you have to go. But did you feel like it was, were you like one of those students that was enthused about, you know, going to school, getting an education? Or how so was? I had about three tiers of school as far as my feelings about it. I was a straight A student in elementary school, but I was so shy like I was almost mute at one point because I was so shy and I used to get bullied in elementary school mm. to where I was embarrassed of my grades. So sometimes I would purposefully, it's so crazy when you think about it now, but like we used to have to um, like read our grades out loud and stuff like that in school. Mm. And so I would be embarrassed because I would get more bullied for having good grades, but I just, it came naturally to me. And then in middle school, you know, you start acting crazy. So I wasn't acting crazy, but I was, it was just different. And then in high school, I was a horrific student. Like I never went to school. I was the worst, besides getting in trouble, like I literally, like the class list, you know, they have the rank like your top of your class. So I was so low on the list that I was like the last person that was still in school. Like everyone else had already been kicked out of school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I was at the bottom of the list. That's why like education is important, but it's more about learning for me like i even tell my kids you know i hated school more than anybody so i get it but you still got to get through it absolutely you know so no i had no <laughs> i wasn't a straight a student in high school i barely made it out but you know did you have any was there anything that uh piqued your interest in school like that kind of made you feel like did you have an idea of like what you wanted to to do after school like what kind of job or anything um, not really. I mean, I just knew I was going to get out of, you know, a, at that point I was in Framingham, Massachusetts, which, you know, it was all white high school. And so I was, they had to bus in kids from Boston in order to make the school more diverse. 
So I wasn't mm. with them because I came to that school in eighth grade. Um, well, like I came to that middle school in eighth grade and then on to the high school. So I wasn't with that group. And then you had rich white kids. I wasn't with them. So it was kind of like I was working two jobs, had no... In high school, two jobs? Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. That's a lot. My mother was on drugs. So, you know, there's a mm-hmm. whole element of that. Yes. And I had a lot of siblings. But it was like, you know, I knew I had to get out of that. So I didn't know what that looked like. I, You know, it was like, okay, go to college. But, you know, I never really knew what I was going to do. I just knew... I wasn't going to stay in that situation. So there was no plan. It was just like, I got to figure out a way to get out of here. Right. Yeah. Like I, when I went to college, I always said when I went to college, I, I at the time I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I just know they used to take us in high school to different like uh, career fairs and you know yeah. those college fairs where you show you the different schools. Um, I, I, I knew for a fact I wasn't ready to go to work right away. <laughs> and I knew I didn't, me personally, like my dad, he served a little bit of time in the, um, in the in the army, my uncle did as well, but I knew I didn't want to go because mm. um, the first thing that came to my mind is you know when you see movies like oh you got to go fight yeah that's, that's the first thing I'm like man I, of course that's that's not for me so I was like well I know if I go to college and then when you see you kind of get influenced like I remember you see movies on TV when 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 you see these movies these guys or kids young kids in college you see the party and right, they're having, they having the time of their life yeah so so you kind of get <laughs> You're idea like, like war or party exactly. I don't go with the party <laughs> and you get the idea of like man that's what college is like man I can't wait to go but it's <laughs> a lot more that comes with yes yeah, it's a lot of party and it's a lot of temptation don't get me wrong but you still have to understand what you're there for and and the reason behind it so I already knew going to work right away, which I did work a couple of jobs um, when I was in college. I didn't work full time Mm -hmm. and I knew I didn't want to go to the army. So Mm. I was like, well, college would give me at least four more years to kind of like figure Figure it out, out. just buy some more time. But I didn't, it's time when I got there, I was just living, just partying all the time. So, but um, as I went on, I kind of figured it out. But for you, like, Right after high school, like, what initially was that next move for you? I went to college. I went to community college. Okay. Um, that was just the easy... I don't even remember any of that, that moment. I just know I was in Framingham. I got into a big fight with my mom on the day of my graduation. And then I moved back to Brockton with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, well, shoot, I might as well go to college, you know? So I just kind of started on that. I was working two, two jobs again and going to school um, and... Very, very long story short, fast forward, I've always been a person that felt like I was not ever fulfilled with the things that I was doing. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. All my friends that I had before I left and went to Framingham, now we're graduated from high school. Some of them didn't graduate, you know, some perished in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, me going to college was like this big deal because nobody even went to community college. And so, you know, I lost, I finished the year, lost one of my two jobs and then my mom was like you need to go to the unemployment office and get money for the job that you lost and i'm like okay and i Mm. go and then i meet a recruiter i never thought about the military i never even thought about it was it's so ironic when you you know hindsight (laughs) because Mm. i didn't even correlate like the war with the military like i I wasn't like when i saw a recruiter i wasn't like oh lord he's gonna try to bring me to war it wasn't even it didn't connect Mm -hmm. and so you know he got to talking and he had a stutter and i think because he had a stutter it made me want to listen to him more Mm -hmm. so then fast forward (laughs) 
20 years in the military. So it was never, I would just kind of seem like I stumbled into stuff. It never was a plan. I just knew I wanted to do something. Did that, at the time, did that feel like it was an escape to get away from your environment, you know, going into the... Um into the, uh, into the, the military. military. And yeah. luckily, um, you know, because once you start telling people about going, you're going to do something. You have people who are discouraging you. You have people who can encourage you. Everyone encouraged me. I don't know if it was some kind of divine. Even my friends, they're like, yeah, you need to go so you can get out of here. Um, my grandmother was against it a little, but she was like, that'll be, you know, after I talked to her, she's like, that'll be good for you because at least you'll be, you know, on a path to something productive. Mm -hmm. So... You know, if I had gotten a lot of discouragement, it could have easily not happened, mm -hmm. you know. Why do you feel like at the time she may have, like, not, not been, you know, forward at the beginning, but then you kind of had a change of heart? My grandmother really trust, trusted my judgment. Even at a young age, I just always handle my business. You know, whatever business that is for that age, I was never a knucklehead or anything like that. So she just trusted that. I guess essentially I did my own research. I don't know, mm. even though I didn't. But, you know, I just had to, she didn't want me to go because she probably understood the war. And my, mind you, this is this is July. I met my recruiter maybe May of 2002. So this is right after 9-11. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if she really grasped that. I didn't grasp it. Mm. Um, I don't know why I didn't. But it was more like, you know, I don't want something to happen to you. That's it. My grandma right. was very, very scary, and she just didn't want anything to happen. But then it was, you can do something, so okay. So so going from um, Massachusetts and being in your hometown to, you know, going into the military, like, what was that transition like? Um, it was only challenging because, maybe because of the st structure, but mm -hmm. I was, I came from a very rough background, so it wasn't like, you know, I came from this plush lifestyle and now someone's yelling at me. It was like, you know, my mother used to scream at me all the time. This ain't nothing like, you know, this is, this is all good. And then the physical part, I was never an athlete or anything like that. So the physical part was probably the hardest, if you were to say the hardest. And then I went in the winter, which I don't know what the hell I was thinking <laughs> with that. So I'm from Massachusetts, but I wasn't like outside, like, you know, digging ditches or whatever. So the cold and... um that was it. The cold and the physical part mm -hmm. was a was a big transition. But everything else, I was like, "Bet, get put me on a plane. I'll go wherever." Mm -hmm. And are you still kind of like uh, precise and you know particular about everything that you do? You know, being in the military and having having that because I and when I and I go ahead and say it, like the, my my former job that I had, I, I worked at Costco and I, I worked there for ten years. The first three years, um, when I was still in college, I worked at uh, outside at the gas station, and mm. we had a. Um, we had a supervisor. He was, I think they say he was special ops. I could be wrong, but. He was but, crazy, I bet. He was, But the thing about him, he was very laid back. He didn't really say a whole lot, but he was very methodical about everything that he did. So we used to have these gas caps, that these big caps that used to cover the tanks outside. Uh -huh. And he wanted all the stripes facing straight. Oh, every single thing. That, that just gave, like, that gave me so much every, peace. Yeah. <laughs> Every, he wanted everything facing a certain way, paperwork filed a, a particular way, and he was just always precise. He's like, man, I'm sorry I'm like this, but, you know, he said, just, you know, being, being in the um, military, you know, especially, he said, I'm, I've always just been trained to do everything a particular way. He's always, 
come to work at the same exact time, <laughs> park in the same spot. Oh, Everything man. was down to a T. Yeah. The way he did it. But great guy, but he was very like laid back. He didn't really say a whole lot. And um, I think, he, matter of fact, he's still out there as well. Wow. Great guy. But I, I just know from working with him, um, he always did, did things, you know, down to the T, regardless yeah. of whatever it was. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would say, um, especially me being a warrant officer, that is like pretty much how warrant officers are trained to be very, very precise because it was originally created for pilots. So pilots have to be extremely meticulous. Um, so I, I know I'm aware of that sometimes, you know, like a, it's an OCD. So, you know, I don't want to be compulsive and, <laughs> and really focus on that stuff. So I'll be aware of stuff, but then choose not to necessarily do it that way for sake of time or sake of sanity but am i like that oh yeah pretty much all mm -hmm. the time i think i saw where um in, in another interview you had i think you say it was a couple of times where you where you wanted to leave or something you came back maybe like once yeah or i got twice. out twice okay i got out twice yeah was it just something that it just you felt like at the time was it for you or it just um it was series of unfortunate events but really mm. the first time you know i was pregnant i was a married uh i was married to another service member got pregnant i thought i was going to be a housewife that didn't work out so i was mm -hmm. like oh it's scary out here in the real world <laughs> mm. i'll be i'm coming back so you know i came back and then i was in the reserves so i was active duty and then went to the reserves and so um when i came back the second time i was just dealing with a whole bunch of really crazy life stuff and so I wasn't going what they call drill and drill is you work the one week in a month, two weeks out of the year. So I wasn't even doing that because mm -hmm. I was dealing with life stuff. And so then I was like, I want to get out. I'm out. So they mm -hmm. put me out. But then there was like a period. It was almost like a, uh, a buffer time where you can come back. And so I was like, I'm just kidding again. I'm back oh, <laughs> and I'm okay. staying this time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw on, uh, on, on black enterprise well before i even ask this question like okay. out, outside of that like what kind of other um work experience kind of like did you have um work or yeah just business? work experience just because i know i saw some things online um i think you said you you work uh numerous different jobs on one of your your, your instagram posts you say you work different jobs and i know you <laughs> mentioned you worked uh two jobs while you were in school but like just kind of like your background um was, were those some of those jobs like i know in school and then during the military as well was it some of those yeah. jobs, different I, jobs you worked? I think last time I counted, I had like over 30, 37 jobs oh, in my 37. life. Ooh. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. Because I worked two and three at one time sometimes. Um, it's just never been a problem for me to get a job. So that's mm -hmm. the bad part because I'm like, I quit and then get a job in two days. You know, so that's doesn't, it, it's bad and good, I guess. But yeah, so I've had multiple jobs. But then in between that time, I've had businesses too. Right. So there's times okay. where I had another job while I was full time in the military or, you know, was working only on the weekends or something in, while I was in the military or something. So it's just always keeping that constant. I guess it's just like that that uh, scarcity mentality type thing where you feel like I don't want to go back down to what I what I was Correct. before. So it's always then when you elevate to another step, then you're like, I don't even want to go down to what I consider to be good in the past. I want to be always stay up here. So what can I do to stay up here? You know, it's just a constant mm. battle. While, while you were navigating um, different jobs and, and the military, did you ever get a sense of like you've found your purpose of like what you really wanted to do or was it just you know like you say just making a living you know just you know just trying to you know trying to get by 
it was when I found government contracting. It was kind of like real estate too. When I started with real estate, I feel like that was, it fulfilled something, but the money didn't match. So if the money don't match, it, it got to go. Mm-hmm. essentially so when I found government contracting I feel like I finally settled on something that I really enjoy because it gave me enough diversity to where I didn't feel like I'm pigeonholed into this one profession because right. there's multiple professions within my you know within my business in particular but then also with government contracting as a whole absolutely before right before before we get to the government contract we're definitely about to dive into it. another one of your posts said you were um you lost two jobs you were evicted and your car was repo within 60 days back in 2006. Would you say, you know, just reflecting on that, would you say that was your lowest moment, uh-uh. lowest point or? Uh-uh. It wasn't my lowest, but it was definitely in the top three of, mm. of lowest moments. It was, um, that's when I got out. Okay. So it was kind of like, this is, this really sucks. But then I've always... I guess I, my bounce back is kind of good because I'm thinking about some things that have happened to me recently where I'm like, oh my God, this is so bad. But then I'm like, I was dealing with way more back then. Wow. Like, stop being a little, you know, <laughs> stop being a baby. So, you know, it's like at that time, it was pretty rough, but I, I would say, okay, well, I don't have a car anymore. I don't have an apartment anymore. What am I going to do? I got to just put one foot in front of the other. It's so. all material things anyway. And then yeah. I can always get it back. You know, the yeah, fact absolutely. that I was always able to get a job and all those types of things that I, I wasn't worried. You, did you have any um, family or friends or anybody that you could turn to at that moment of like just for assistance or were you just so used to, you know, being on your own? Um, well, yes and no. So no one actually could help me. The only way that mm. I could have really gotten out of that situation um it was going moving back to Massachusetts to be with my grandmother. Oh, okay. So and if you don't mind, where where were you kind of like located? I was in Atlanta. In Atlanta, okay. So yeah. you were already here. I was already here. I was a you know single parent. My daughter was not maybe one. Um, okay. And I hadn't met my um, you know my next husband yet. So you know that's mm-hmm. that's how that transition happened. Went to live with him. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like okay, that was my the fix of that problem, being evicted, no car, and all that kind of stuff. The other alternative was to move back to Massachusetts. And mind you, my grandmother lived in an apartment for 22 years. It's not like mm-hmm. she had a house. You know what I mean? It right. was like, she facing the same stuff I'm facing. So, you know, and then moving back to Massachusetts was not an option right. in my mind. Were you ashamed of like, have you, or have you ever been ashamed of like what people thought of you at that time, you know, losing those type of positions? I know this was um, back in 06. This was, it was a little social media, but not like it is now. Right. But, because, you know, now on social media, everybody just, it's like a highlight reel where everybody just points out their success. But these type of things you don't really hear about. Um, and that's why I feel like it's so important to kind of share these stories. But were you ever, like, worried about what people thought of you, like, losing these type of possessions or anything? I didn't have a, I didn't have time to think about it, you know. <laughs> so you would, especially now with social media, like you're saying, if someone was to out me, that's why I'm so transparent. Like you will find you mm-hmm. will find a mugshot online if you dig long enough for me of me. So I put mm-hmm. that stuff out before you even get a chance because I use that also for inspiration for other people, which no one wants to air out all that dirty laundry. But it's like it is what it is. It's like part I of your st- journey. It's, it's- it is, and it's like I got a top secret clearance, and I still I still uh, you know ex- expose myself to the government saying yes, I have been arrested before. So, mm-hmm. but I still got a top secret clearance. So it's like the, all this stuff is is not anything that I kept a secret. So ashamed, 
no um because i feel like i really was doing things i wasn't doing stuff to to you know really put myself in a really bad situation you know what i mean so i was right. trying there was just certain things that happened so if i felt like i was a drug addict or something like that or robbing a bank and then i went to prison or something like that then i would be like dang i'm so ashamed of that because I did something bad to put myself in this situation. Okay. It was just a series of weird events. Did you feel like you had a, uh, was it a mentor or anybody that, that you could like go to and talk to to kind of give you advice and kind of like help, kind of like steer you in the right direction and just for anything, for any type of advice? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's been people along the way. Um, when I lost the one job I was working at, uh, it was MCI. I don't know how low job, MCI is like, Back in the day. And then, you thought, yeah, you probably don't even remember MC. Okay. <laughs> but Verizon bought them, and I was working okay. at Verizon, essentially, like the call center. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a guy there, older guy. And when I was trying to get back into the military, he I had to write a letter, and he helped me with the letter. He was like, stop using these type of words, you know, be more positive. And, you know, it was like people would say that, but he was just kind of like, listen to me. Like, listen, listen to what mm -hmm. I'm telling you. And it did kind of shift I remember that sh a small shift at that time. So, yeah, there's been people along the way, people that have helped me, have been kind. And so because of that kindness, it kind of changes how you are as a person, too, and how you pay it forward. That, that was going to get ready to be my next question is when did you actually feel like things kind of started to you know shift for you? Was it getting back in, into the military again? Was that the moment where you felt like things kind of turned for the better for you? I would say yes, um, because before that I was working at a um, – there was a, a bar club in on Wesley Chapel in Atlanta called Scores. Now I was making about $500 a night as a mm. waitress, which is excellent money for most people. But I mean, I was working like a like a dog, you know, mm. and working overnight and I had a new baby, you know, my you know, my son, my second child. And so um it wasn't it wasn't a long-term career thing. So then it was like, do I want to stay here or do I want to go full-time with the army, but it was for one year. So it was like, I'm quitting this job to get a job for just one year, but I, you know, it's regular, I have medical insurance and you know, it's more respectable than working at basically a Hooters, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? So yeah, it was a turning point. I was able to, I was making a rate maybe around the same amount of money, but it just changed my perspective about stuff, being more professional, kind of going into that corporate world more, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, and that was in 2008 when okay. that happened, January 2008. So transition did, um, was this, so when when exactly did the uh, the foresight, because I know you said you did different different companies, correct? <laughs> yeah, throughout the years. Throughout the, uh-huh. Yeah. So then, you went to did the military help with the uh, with the government contracting and foresight industries? Was that kind of like hand in hand? No, they were hand in hand. Um, but it was more like maybe a conceptual knowledge. Like it, the building I worked in, we had a janitorial company come in, and I'm like, okay, if I was to think about, they have these janitors come in, you know, there's, I'm looking at what they're doing, so you know, I can hire someone to do that. And so, I, but I started off with real estate. So when okay. I started off with real estate and was doing, I was flipping, I was a landlord and wholesaling. Ugh. So with that, I'm like, I had a contractor, he did the renovations. And so I'm like, well, I can take that same contractor and do the same stuff on the government side because people were saying, why are you not doing government contract? And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, what, what does that even mean? Right. And so when I started researching, I'm like, oh, I can just 
take that same those same skills and bring them over to government contracting. In, you know, conceptually, I didn't know what that, what that, how that I was going to do it. I didn't know what that meant. And so the company started off as real estate in 2015. And then it kind of, you know, I started it officially in 2017, but it was still real estate. I still had houses. And then 2018 is when I won my first contract, or bid on my first contract. All right. Are you, you still dabble in real estate or is that something you, that you kind of like? I have, a, I have a rental property. You know, like that's it. I'm not interested, and I'm about to sell it, so mm. <laughs> I'm not really interested in real estate anymore. They say real estate is is uh, it's a it's a great field, but it's a, a lot of work. And then I see people on t- sometimes, you know, try to do the wholesaling. The wholesaling is it's a it's a house. It can be a house all the time. Yeah, Especially- and the money doesn't match. Mm-hmm. I want my money now. I don't want to wait thirty years. Like you right. paying me if my mortgage is. 1500 and you paying me 1800 then I'm it's a get rich slow and I'm cool with that if that's like it just passive but it didn't match the effort I'm like I'm about to go to jail because these people are setting the thermostat on fire and and <sighs> like all kind of crazy no yeah. <laughs> I'm a little too volatile for that yeah it's a, it's a definitely has my brother he actually backed into a deal you know somebody that um was working with him they were just trying to get rid of a house and you know he was able to you know put something together quickly but that was one of the only deals that i remember that him doing but other than that it's um even like people post courses online about you know wholesaling and stuff but it's i think it's like a i haven't done it but it looks like it's a a lot of work it kind of like selling drugs it's It's literally like selling uh drugs and it's borderline illegal because then people they don't. They they don't trust you. I mean, I had yeah. one. Prop- sorry to cut you no, off. No, 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 no. It's kind of like you're almost like you're the middleman trying to play matchmaker. You're trying to find somebody to that's selling the house and looking for somebody who wants to buy a house, and you're trying to put them together. But it's almost like you you're making money off the deal, and it's almost like they don't really know you're gonna profit off of it in a sense. Yeah, yeah, and that that makes people upset. And so I've even had where this guy had a hard money loan and then he was fixing up a house. So the house was half fixed, but then his contractor ran out on the deal and then took all the carpet out the place. So he, he couldn't even do anything else. And so I found a buyer the day of closing. He didn't, he decided not to pay the hard money lender. I unbeknownst to me, the middle mm. person, right? So the day of the sale, I was about to make 11,000 on that deal. He, it went into, um, it got sold on the courthouse steps the morning of, Oh man. and I'm like, this work you know because he right. decided i said why wouldn't you pay the hard money lender to make everything continue exactly. to go he was like well i didn't think i had to pay him mm. so i'm not contr- in control of any of it mm-hmm. so that was that was the end for me yeah so 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 that's what kind of so that was a deal breaker for you kind of like the, the wholesaling part the no the the tenant who didn't wasn't able to be evicted even though he didn't pay any rent and he set the thermostat on fire in january in a boarding house was the end Man. i had to talk to my lawyer like is, is this worth going like is this worth going running up in this house and she's like no it's not worth it and i'm like i can't do this anymore oh, yeah, because i'm crazy. too i mean it, it it works for some people and it works and it, in some circumstances right yeah, absolutely it does mm-hmm. but i'm not that person right. <laughs> so so foresight industries um how did you come up with the the name of it and then like what was like the meaning behind it it started off as ugh, my old name was sheena investments when I was on my real estate kick and I hated it. Mm-hmm. I won I won my first three contracts with that name, but I hated it. It didn't match, people didn't understand. And so they say when you're, they don't understand your name, 
that could, you know, uh, potentially take you away from deals. So foresight, it took, I actually hired someone on Fiverr to come up with mm-hmm. a name. I, I, this is the first time out of all the business I've, I've had where I could not pick a name. And so I was like, I want something with a number in it. I want something to represent my family, you know, with industries at the end. And so he said, okay, cool. So my name is Sheena, obviously. So four, there's four of us, my husband, my, my, my husband, myself, and my two kids, four. Mm-hmm. And then Sheena, S, and then my daughter's name is Naya, so the Y, and then T, Terrell. So both my husband and my son's name is Terrell. So that's kind of how that came wow. up. And I was like, okay, foresight. So he just gave me the whole rundown. I was like, that's cool, even though no one can ever pronounce it correctly, but whatevs, we're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's... Man, that's, that's creative, though. I never even thought about it. When I was looking at it, I was like, even just the way it was spelled and everything, like Foresight Industries. Yeah. In a very unique way, but it has um, a meaning and a purpose behind yeah. it. That's, that's what, what I really like about it. Yeah, um, thank you. Getting your your first contract did you did you have anybody kind of showing you the ropes of like how to put these types of of deals together no it just kind of reminded me of real estate i mean Mm -hmm. um i don't even remember how i found where to go uh because i started on local i didn't even start on federal um and this is matter of fact rewind i i started by kind of getting an understanding by going to conference i went to like one or two conferences and so they were federal conferences. And then I watched the movie War Dogs. And so War Dogs was like... I'm going to have to go watch that now. Yeah. Game changer. I mean, like, seriously game changer. And um, I don't know how I found my way to the local side, but I was like, well, shoot, it's the same thing. Like, the gov- this is a, a state building or a county building asking for, I think it was floor waxing at the time. And I was like, oh, I got that. They're telling me exactly what they want this is not hard. Like right. I'm just going to fill it, fill this out and then, um, you know, submit a price. And I submitted a price based on market research and it was a terrible bid. I ended up having to cancel it. I never even performed it because my contractor was like, uh, no. And so I'm like, I found a loophole in the documentation where I could cancel it. And then, um, I bid on my second one. My contractor did come out and you know visit all the sites. It was for some, um, fire station floor repair. So when you say they, cancel the bid was it that you set a number too high for them or too low too low way too low um so you were going to charge them a low price to way do it? too low so they wanted uh i don't remember three warehouses um the floor is waxed mm-hmm. um with like a specific wax like three coats and i think i might have said it was going to cost ten thousand dollars total mm-hmm. and then my contractor is like that's a minimum of twenty seven thousand so he's like unless you want to come out of pocket 17,000 there's no way I can do it and so I didn't have anybody else this is the one sole person I have relied on since 2014 to do mm-hmm. all my rent all my real estate stuff so it was kind of like too late I couldn't like try to hurry or hustle and find anyone because I'd already been awarded mm-hmm. so um but mm-hmm. sorry to cut you off but yeah, no. so why would they want to because to me it would seem like you would want to you know if somebody's going to charge you that much I get when you want to go with like the lowest price or because you say it's a $27,000 job, but if they're saying, well, somebody's going to do this for 10000 I mean, of course, everything that's cheap ain't good, but if you were like the lowest bidder on it, why would they not want to take the, the lowest? They did take it. Oh, they did take they it. They did take it. Oh, okay. But I, had, I didn't have anybody to perform it for that amount. I got you. Okay. Yeah, nobody was going to do it for 10000 I got you. <laughs> I made the, the error, you know, because I didn't really know. I didn't really understand waxing like that, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So, but luckily I was able to say, I cannot perform this. Please leave me alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Essentially. Okay. And they, and usually that's a problem. Sometimes that's a problem, but with this particular one, it wasn't. Okay. So, so how do you know, you know, this is going to be one of my later questions, but while mm-hmm. we're talking about it, like, how do you know, like what to set your price as? Like when you, when you go through deals and stuff like that? Million dollar question. Um, it greatly depends on what you're doing. So if you're talking about anything that includes staff, a lot of times you have to um, uh, go by the Davis-Bacon or um, the wage determination, which is like the minimum wage for the government. Mm-hmm. Um, it, well, not just the government, but the Davis-Bacon is kind of like uh, the minimum wage for labor. Mm-hmm. And so with that, um, you have to pay, say say the minimum wage for jan- janitorial is $11 an hour. But then there's fringe um, benefits that you have to pay, which is an additional $4 an hour. And then there's like hazard pay for an additional $2 an hour. And then you got to c- work in your overhead for the taxes. So it might start off at 11 and then be $20, 20 an hour. I got you. So you have to, that's one. And then if you have to provide supplies, then you just have to guesstimate. Um, that's why you should really go into an industry you understand. Um, <laughs> but uh, knowing how much it might cost for this amount of supplies for this period of time, if it's a one and done, meaning you only do this one job and then you're out of there like we did with the fire stations, this is how much the total cost is going to be. Or if it's every month for five years, how much is that per month? Okay. So most people don't know their pricing, but then you start putting out, putting in bids and um, getting the practice, if you will. That's what will, you know, you can see what other people are bidding. Then you'll kind of know where you are. So they don't tell you like what's the, the not number. usually sometimes mm-hmm. they'll say our budget is 300,000, mm-hmm. but you're like, oh, I know damn well they can't do yeah. this for 300. I, I can't do this for 300,000. So do you have agency? Have you considered weather have you considered this so i can do it for four hundred thousand so there's a sometimes it's a negotiation sometimes it's not mm-hmm. and sometimes it's, it's, it's almost like they're kind of hoping you throw like a lower number in there so of they course. can because if, if if they can get it for for the free 99 they're they gonna, gonna try get, to get it. it yeah a yeah. thousand percent and that's how a lot of people get into government contracting by lowballing everyone mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because a lot of times you you're killing your business before it even gets a chance to start Absolutely. So, with your first couple of deals, were you hands-on working, working in the business, or did you know that you, I need to hire some people to, you know, to get these? Oh yeah, I don't know how to do floor waxing. <laughs> oh yeah, somebody getting hired. Like I don't know how to do floor replacement and all that. So, you know, for the first several, well, for the first two, my contractor, um, the one that I have with real estate. So he was like the construction manager, if you will. So if we needed someone to do the the, the removal, he had a, a team a crew for that. We needed somebody to do the install, he had a crew for that. We needed someone to you know get the dumpster, it was crew for that. He had, he was like the nucleus for all of that. But of course, you can't put your full you know heart and spirit into one person. So our um, relationship fizzled after a couple of years. But then when I got into janitorial, um, that was my third con- awarded contract in 2019. Um, I had to be creative. I mean, I had to, I, I did jump in and clean. My kids were cleaning. Everybody in my whole family didn't touch the uh, scrub brush mm-hmm. at some point. So, you know, just having to get in there and see what do, what is actually needed um, is important because if you're going to be in this industry, you need to know what right looks like and what wrong looks like. Mm-hmm. So so when you bid on a contract, can you talk a little bit about that process of like how long it takes when you, like how, how does it go about, you know, finding a contract 
bidding on it and then how long does it normally take for it to like go all the way through i guess to to know that you have um you have been awarded mm -hmm. it it greatly varies like we bid on contract back in june and we're still waiting like they did the the results saying that we were the lowest bidder which is good for this particular circumstance but they haven't given they haven't moved forward and Mm -hmm. then there's somewhere they'll say you've been awarded and um you got to start in a week you know Mm -hmm. so from the time you find it depending on how you find it say if i did the traditional route like um the state of Georgia sends me an alert saying, here's an opportunity that your company may want to bid on. And so what's today, the 27th of November. So they might say it's due the 27th of December. So you got a month. And then in between that time, you got to ask questions. You got to go to a site visit and say it's a, um, say it's a one year contract for sake of argument. And I have to figure out who I'm, who I'm going to staff with that. If it's janitorial, who I'm going to staff, how many hours do they need? Blah, 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 blah. And then I submit my bid by the 27th of December. And so they accept it because that's a really key piece because some people, they'll turn this stuff in and not know that the contracting officer never received it. That's actually mm. a huge part that people don't don't understand. And so they receive it. And then there's you don't know how many people are bidding on it. It could just be you. It right. could be 100 people, literally. I've seen some with like 150 people bid on gloves or something like that. And so... Um, you know, your price, they may be looking for the lowest bidder or they may be looking for best quality. They may be looking for several things you never know. And then they can let you know anytime. Mm-hmm. It could be a year from now. This contract that I totally forgot we even bid on. And they're like, oh, hey, you won. What? <laughs> like, yeah. when was when was that? I don't remember the pricing, you know? So it's like that. So do you have a, a set team that does um that does these jobs or do you do you go by for each contract you just find people that are looking for some work at that moment in time or do you have like a set set employees that you know that just work for you on every every job okay i think you're asking two separate questions so as far as the paperwork yes i have a program manager caption manager that sources the bids if you will so Mm -hmm. i have an like i have a full executive staff a coo regional managers HR manager, admin, ca- uh, capture manager slash program manager. Yes, so they source it, you know, how many staff we're going to need, how much it's going to cost, blah, blah, blah. And then the actual workers, depending yeah, the on... workers. Mm-hmm. So the ones who are actually performing on the contract, they could either be employees or they can be subcontractors. Okay. It just depends. Like right now, uh, well, we just finished the Philadelphia Philly Stadium, so those were employees. But I have a regional manager who's a contractor. He's mm-hmm. not on my, you know, W. he's not a W-2. And then in Delaware, we have employees. But then for Atlanta Public Schools here, it's a contract. It's contractors that I use. But they are okay. so, they do the same stuff over and over, pressure washing and floor stuff consistently. I don't even have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what to do. They got a good relationship with the school and they, you know. So, so how often, if ever, do you, like, actually, like, deal with, like, with the actual employees that are actually on the like in the field working very infrequently and i i do want to change that um i do want to change that because they're in different states so it makes i used to go to delaware every month and then it became every quarter now it's kind of like twice a year you know Mm -hmm. it's not my favorite place to be but you know um i don't deal with them as much Mm -hmm. And and then when you do um I like because I feel like a lot of times uh, the higher up 
and like even when you, if you go work a nine to five, like the people in management, once they climb up that ladder, sometimes not all the time, some of those managers when they get up high up, they can kind of like lose touch of like what it's like to like actually like be in the field and like working hands on once they climb up that ladder. So at times it can be like important to you know you know work with your employees and talk to them um and i know with your military background you know i know you got hard coaching at times so when you do deal with employees like how do you approach you know talking to them because you know everybody comes from different backgrounds some people can take like hard coaching some you know they're not as receptive to it so like how do you deal with them when you have to you know engage with employees since i have my i have a northern regional manager and then another manager specifically for delaware mm -hmm. so the, the northern regional manager does delaware and philly and then the you know delaware manager deals with all the employees in delaware so i got kind of like two layers in between mm -hmm. um i can feel people why when they move up to the top that they lose the touch because they become jaded when i first started um all the employees had my number call me whenever and that became mm -hmm. an absolute nightmare it was really it because it, they probably it, call you about everything texting it, it was it was it didn't work out it ended up mm -hmm. being worse um so then i just in, inserted another non uh what, what's my word uh non-connected layer and that's my hr manager so if they have i'm like checking with every single employee to make sure when i do go to visit them though I'm just a, somebody says stop saying humble because humble is like a derogatory term to yourself, but I'm just, I'm in the background. And so, you know, my COO and my uh, regional manager, like you need to, you know, show more of your dominance. And I'm like, that's not me. Like when, right. we, when I go to visit the sites where they work, I'm like, give me the toilet brush. Like you, maybe you, maybe you haven't been shown specifically how to do this type of cleaning. Mm -hmm. Like we even had, they even took a picture of me cleaning one of the toilets. They mm -hmm. was like, this is a damn shame. But I'm like, that's normal right. for me. So um, when I do interact with the employees, I'm very, very humble. Yeah, because I'm, I'm the same way with you. Like, I don't mind, you know, getting down and showing people work. Like, because I want people to know, I don't want you to feel like I'm, like I own you. I never want to mm -hmm. feel like I just control anybody. Even when I have people come working um, with me, I always say you work with me. You don't work for me. Because yeah. I don't want you to feel like I own you, and I can tell you what you can and can't do. Like I'm gonna show you that. Like I can get in here, set up cameras, microphones, and run the behind the scenes, everything. Like I never want people to feel like I'm I'm better than them in any, in any sense. Now we still have a job to do. Of course, yeah. But I don't want you to feel like that, and then um then you know negative perception of you. So it's always good. Cause like I said, I never want to lose touch of anything that yeah. I'm, anything I'm doing but when you said that about um you know giving them your number and them reaching out to you all the time my sister she she works in HR right now she's had several um well-paying jobs in HR and the stuff that she tells us that she has to deal with like off the clock they call her and just petty stuff on the job where people getting into it and you got to deal with all of that or if they check come out wrong or something like all the stuff that HR has to deal with. I'm like, and it's deeper than that because when I went to um, this program, uh, it's called VIP veterans Institute for procurement. Mm -hmm. um, they talked about, it's not if you get sued, it's when, so you can really, as a, especially as the owner of the company, you can really back yourself into a corner because say an, an employee texts me after hours and they're like, you know, such and such made me feel uncomfortable. And then I'm like, mm, you know, like whether it's a lie or not, they're going to be like, well, I told Sheena 
Sheena didn't report something. Now I have this institutional knowledge about something I didn't even know I needed right. to say something about. Now I'm getting sued. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I'm like, keep me out of all of that because I am trying to keep this as just super smooth and, and non-confrontational. And I'm working with, you know, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm downgrading anyone. Like I said, I you picked up many scrub brushes, but like I'm working with labor force. So a lot of these, a lot of people are, you know, second chance. A lot of the people are, you know, they have uh, problems, you know, mentally, right. As, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. And, you know, they're already coming to me with baggage. Like I've had employees go to the ment a mental institution, jail, like really serious crimes against them. So I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're great workers, excellent workers, but they got problems just like I had problems. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, t I always joke that I'm getting it all back. All the bad things I've done as an employee, <laughs> I'm getting all of it back. You know? Hey, speaking of uh, some other thing, I want a couple more questions about contract as far as like, mm -hmm. when you do contracts, like you say earlier, you mentioned that you like actually put in one like a year ago. You almost forgot about it. Mm -hmm. Like, do you just bid on contracts and just as many as possible or is it ones in particular like you really have to go through it and, and make sure like this is something that i know we can handle all the ones we go after we can handle okay. um but there are some that take a little longer than others and it was a point where we were doing a lot like we were bidding on so much stuff but it was all since i'm in facility management that's why i said i like the diversity because it could be janitorial fencing floor repair painting drywall it could be so many things so there's constant work coming in nonstop. Like we turn down a lot of stuff. We evaluate way better now than we did. And we don't, we don't just do government. We do commercial, we do corporate, we do federal. So but out of all those streams, and then, you know, people will contact me because they got work and they want us to be a sub. So it's coming from all different angles. So, you know, you try to get to a place where you don't have to bid on contracts. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. Um, but you know, we're trying to slim down some of the services so it can be streamlined to like, my pressure washing guy is top, top notch. So mm -hmm. if we can get all pressure washing, that's all right. him. And then litter pickup, we got one pending for litter pickup. That's like, those are my two favorite. Pressure washing and litter pickup, my two favorites. Mm -hmm. I know you just mentioned, uh, kind of touch on it just a little bit. I know you offer courses as well, and I'll, I'll definitely make sure you mention that towards the end. Um, but the different types, you said local and federal, like, is it different? Is it the one in particular that you, that you seek for more, like higher paying, or is it any way you just take? So, yeah, as far as um, federal, local, and, you know, corporate is a little different, um, but mm -hmm. subcontract, it's kind of like local, federal, and subcontract, and that's kind of how we've been navigating, um, and we do some corporate and some commercial, depending, because you know, someone recommends me or whatever, as long as it's under facility management, we can at least explore it. You know, the only, I guess the only thing, um, federal, they, sometimes they want more requirements, uh, as far as proving that you can provide this service and also, um, mm -hmm. the subcontracting limits. So that's sometimes an issue because if I'm essentially subbing out all the work that could be a red flag for the federal side but on the local side they don't give a damn mm. like can I, I'm sorry can I oh you fine okay. yeah you fine yeah. they don't give a damn as long as you can do this work for what you said you could do it for usually they don't care about you know how how much of it is being subbed out does it matter what, 
like as far as like the location or do you just go anywhere like if you got have a something like a you get a contract over in california is anywhere in the country does it matter or you just focus on the east coast like east coast, east coast and then texas because i have assets in texas um okay. i would love for stuff to be where we already have stuff so delaware philly atlanta um i got an off and on contract in Knoxville and then Florida. So, you know, if it can be in those areas where I know I have a solid team, then that's preferred. Okay. Yeah. You had a post that I saw um, when I was a couple of days ago, where you said, don't shy away from approach, uh, approaching corporate agencies directly, <laughs> meaning like, you know, shooting them a call or uh, email, like uh, talk a little bit about that post of like just reaching out, you know, touching base with different um, agencies. Yeah. So um, even, that's kind of newish to us. There's other facility management companies who get who secure um, corporate contracts. You know, so you can reach out to those agencies who already have the secured contracts, and they'll give you like several stores to do what you do. Like, of course, I'm going to always reference facility management because that's what I do. But you know, insert your industry, and if there's already a company that's securing these contracts work with them but then on the other side you can register as a vendor for any of these agencies for any AT&T Coca-Cola Facebook you know um, I did an industry day back in 2020 because I was like fully focused on corporate corporate contracting in 2020 because you know obvious everything kind of like shut down ish Um, I didn't even know there were so many headquarters here in Atlanta like I didn't even know there was a Facebook headquarters here nah, no I was clue. like well you guys especially yeah. you don't live here but I was like what you know I'm over here talking to this lady like oh well wherever it is and she's like well we have two offices in Atlanta I was like oh you know mm. so you can reach out to you know do your research the only thing about corporate side is they want you to come in there knowing everything about Coca-Cola like they want you to they want you to know exactly where the headquarters are in that location so when you're talking to them you're like hey I already see I've already been to the Coca-Cola factory I see you know I saw that the floors were dirty. You, I mean, literally that that blunt, and I would I register as a vendor on their website. You just usually look up supplier diversity or how to do business with Coca Cola, something like that, mm-hmm. and then you register on their site as a vendor. And then the only thing difference between the corporate and local and federal, like you know, corporates over here, federal and locals over here, is that you usually won't see what they're what they need. And so with the corporate, you have to be invited. So okay. what would typically happen is you register as a vendor. You may or may not do an industry day and say, hey, I've already been registered. Let's have this conversation. They'll say, okay, I'll pull your your um, profile. We do have some floors that need to be cleaned. And then they invite you to a floor cleaning um, bid, if you will. It w- usually won't be just listed on their website. Mm-hmm. So you can reach out directly like that. I mean, it may take a little while or it may be immediate because there's a lot of really large um, like franchises that you've never heard of that, you know, they have a whole family owned supply diversity team and they want to talk to you. They want to, mm-hmm. they want to get the warm and fuzzy from you. Right. So that's, that's your entryway. Whereas a federal and local, you, you just kind of like relationships definitely, but you just kind of bidding. Mm-hmm. How often do you like, should you follow up? It's like when you, you know, when you introduce yourself and follow up, how, how often should you just follow up? That's a really great question because um, I went to a FEMA conference in 2018 and there was a lady explaining that there's a there was a gentleman that wanted to work with FEMA. He was already registered the way he was supposed to and he Mm -hmm. followed up with her every quarter. 
And so when she did have something, because, you know, FEMA's fast paced. They need to they need to source that contract usually within 72 hours so or less. And that thing came up that he could provide. So it really depends. FEMA, maybe once a month or any other agency, um, you have to kind of gauge. But some say, don't email me every month. They'll tell you straight up, you know, mm. so that's where those conversations come into play where, you know, at least email them every quarter. Hey, we're still here. Put them on your, if you send out a newsletter for your company, put them on your newsletter so they can be like, oh, shoot. You know, Foresight just won a contract with Kennesaw State, whatever. And they'll be like, man, we really do need that work too. You know, mm -hmm. or call. Like they, some people, some of them like calling. Even because it's like mostly old heads. You know, I was in the military for 20 years. I know the old heads that were mm -hmm. that were behind the desk and you call them, you'll get a better response. than if you email them or vice versa, you know, mm -hmm. it just really you have to gauge it. You have to be a business person. So right. it's like I don't have the, the magic answer. So it's like right. you have to go out there and use your negotiation right. power. It might even be better in person. Right. Because I, I feel like it's a I think it's kind of almost like a fine line. It's like. You want to follow up and be persistent, but yeah. you, at the same time, you don't want to like feel harass like you just harass them and like you just begging like, hey, hey, I need this job or anything like that. Me personally, I I do it in a even though we're in two different fields, the way that I do mine is um, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I read a book. Well, Fifty Cent mentioned it, and I read a book earlier this year, and this is not any type of political endorsement, <laughs> but the book that I read was by Donald Trump, The Art of the Deal. It's an mm. older book. Yep. And the one of the main pieces of information that I took with from that away from that book was, you know, you know, direct to source, meaning when I kind of like the way we put this interview mm. together, I reached out to you directly. Now, a lot of times you can shoot an email or call the office or whatever. And you don't get directly to the person who owns that company. Now, fortunate enough, I was I was able to do that. But a lot of times, like in like Donald Trump mentioned it in in his book, he said a lot of times, like instead of going um, directly to the source, you go through like a middleman, and the middleman really doesn't want to like ruffle any feathers. He wants to just keep his job and do what he does. Yep. So if you can't get directly to the to the directly to the source, and you go through the middleman, you may get a get a runaround. So for me. I mean, I try to go directly to the source if I can. Some people reply, some don't. Sometimes I have to go through a middleman and it works out fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's some of the information. That's one of the pieces of information I use. Like try to go directly to the source, and I try to follow up. Like I did with you, I try to follow. I, Your I, I, follow up was was perfect. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie because yeah. I probably get two hundred DMs a day, but I check all of my messages personally mm. every single one right. so but you it wasn't like aggie it was perfect yeah it was kind of like space up because I, I had some things going on too but I, man i hope <laughs> i was like hopefully she remembers like yeah in that time you know some people like they're responding say hey I, I got you we'll do interview and then something kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. lose touch i don't take it personal but at times it does happen some people say um it's not a good fit for them or they may not have the time and it's and this gentle it's okay. remind you were doing like a gentle follow up. It wasn't aggressive. It wasn't rude. It wasn't salesy. You know, and I I recognize that. I'm giving you the feedback because you know you only know yourself. But I'm telling you as a person who's you know I guess semi busy or whatever, and yeah. I have a lot of stuff going on, and you have a lot of stuff going on. Your follow up was perfect as far as well, I'm thank concerned. Thank you. I, yeah. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and speaking about uh, you know, saying people don't follow up at times <laughs> and not getting around to it, um. 
rejection is just all a part of business. <laughs> um, if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Ah, the dreaded rejection. So <laughs> how do you handle rejection? Really good question, too, because I think at the beginning, I always said I'm not a salesperson, you know, um, and sometimes I do still struggle with that because I don't want to I don't want to beg anyone to do anything. And so I'm the same way. Yeah, it's like um, and not to toot or anything like to my own horn or anything like that. But it's like, do you do you understand what you'll get from me? You know, what I mean, like you don't even get it. So it's OK if you decide not mm-hmm. to. Um, but you can't really sell like that. Right. So rejection, the, the rejection doesn't bother me. I just get, I have a, like a quick temper. So I'll be like, I don't even need you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even though I, I probably do need them, it's, you know, in some mm-hmm. circumstances. So I just don't care about the rejection part. It's just like, you don't even know, you're not even there enough to know that you, this will be good for you or whatever, right. you know, especially dealing with, um, now I'm dealing with students with the course. It's like, hello, if you, you know, the, the uh, person I posted yesterday, she followed everything I said. And then you see the success. You know what I mean? Like, I'm telling you, if you literally follow this, this will happen. But then people try to find 17,000 ways to not do it the way that I'm saying. So, you know, like the rejection part, I don't necessarily care about because you're going to be sick of me. Like, just right. straight sick of me or you're going to tell me or something. Um, but that's only if I want to pursue that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, rejection, man. I I tell people. I had a young man. Uh, he was um covering the Hornets. This was last season. I had another young man come up to me um um at the first home game this season. But from last season, uh, he was working concessions, and he was like, "Hey, man, um, doing what you do. Like, do you have any advice for me? It's like uh, some of the stuff that you did." I said, "Hey, man, just uh, stay consistent." I said, "Get used to rejection because that's part of it," and just uh. And just believe that you can do it. Like, you believe. have to believe. Like, you got to have that belief that no matter what, no matter how many times you, you hear no, because it's going to come your way. Mm-hmm. I have thousands of emails where people just reject my anything oh. that I'm doing. And I, I just, at times it, it bothers you. Yeah. But I, I, I pick my head up because I'm like, man, these people really don't know the work that I I put into it. Some of the people that I've interviewed and doing things with, you know, with the Hornets and then, during my first season of South Carolina State, uh, HBCU in our area, it's just like, man, people don't really understand what they're doing. But I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna just keep on going and just keep continue uh, stay consistent and putting out great work. But it's like it, it hurts, but you know, just gotta. It's gonna be if you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to deal with it regardless. And then it's like you know, for every you know hundred dollars you lose over here, and you feel like that's that's painful you know you get so much more on the other end it's not like there's any shortage you know what i mean so that's kind of how i feel about when when i lose bids like people will say they bid on one contract and lost and they never bid again they were just so disappointed or their sam registration got got denied only because their address was spelled wrong Mm -hmm. and they're like i can never do it again (laughs) i'm like that's that's so small in the grand scheme of things when you you don't even have time to interview everybody that you emailed like you right. literally don't physically have the time right. so it wouldn't even be advantageous for it to happen for you so you got to really look at it like this is a rejection for a reason maybe they might come back later you never really know and it's like two tears in a bucket like just it's not a you know I, and i get it because mm-hmm. i'm not reaching out to people typically to do my interviews but 
It's like, mm-hmm. who cares? Yeah, and I, and I, don't, I don't take it personal. One of the, yeah. um, I read uh, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, The Four Agreements, and one of his ah. principles in there was, you know, don't take anything personal. So yeah. if they, they say no, I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's life. It won't and then be you the never, last time. And then you don't know what someone's going through. You know what I mean? Like, they could really be dealing with some life stuff, and they're just not in the best spirits, but they're just going to be like, they're going to ignore you instead of explaining it or there's just so many, so many elements to other people that you can't even worry about why they said no. Absolutely. Yeah. Got a, a few more questions and, and we'll sure. get ready to wrap up. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, likewise. When, when you're bidding on contracts or any type of work that you do, are you hesitant to let them know that you're um, a, a black-owned business? <laughs> and we, we, the reason I asked that conversation is because, so earlier this year, me and one of, me and one of my closest friends, we flew to Utah. Um, and what happened was, so the whole the reason we went out there was because so I, about two years ago I interviewed the, the founder of Reebok, mm. and he he told another gentleman about me, and this guy he built like a forty two billion dollar hedge fund company, mm. so we flew out he flew us out to Utah, gave um, paid for our hotel and everything. Nice. We went out there, went to his um, his um, bought us took us out to up in the mountains at his home, beautiful home. I've never been in a home like that in my life. Was, Especially out in Utah, yeah. so they got those grand houses. And it was cold. Man, it was cold. <laughs> so during the interview, we talked a lot about business, and one of the questions I asked them was, um, so I asked them, I was like, you know, and I brought up, because we talk about this a lot where a lot of black entrepreneurs, you know, finding like having access to capital for many different reasons. We don't have the access to that type of capital that they do. So I asked them, like, how can black-owned businesses, you know, get that type of access to capital? And, you know, me and two of my best friends, we, we was talking about it, and they understood where I was coming from, but at the same time, they was like, man, you might should not have, should even ask him that because, you know, he's a, 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 a wealthy white man. He may not be, he's probably not, he may not be connected to, you know, black-owned business, so that might not be the type of question to ask him. I'm like, my thing is, if you don't know, if you don't ask him, you never know. Because maybe he does have information on how black-owned businesses get that type of access to capital. And, I, and what I was telling him was that some of the entrepreneurs that we interviewed, they were hesitant on letting businesses know, people know that they were black. Because if they did, some for some reason, they might may turn their heads. Like I said, the other couple months ago when I interviewed Miss Aaliyah Smith, she owns two peach cobbler factories. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened to her. Credit was great. Had the money. Everything checked out, but once they saw her in person, she said some one person never even responded. So I know I've, I know I've been long winded with this, but mm-hmm. I wanted to just ask you all that because do you are you hesitant on like letting them know that you're um, a black owned um, business? I think I'm um, a little better now, but at the beginning, yeah, absolutely not. Were you gonna know I was even a woman because I'm in facility management? Like I was in IT for 20 years, so I know what it's like to be essentially discriminated against because I'm female or because I'm black. Mm-hmm. Like most black women are not in IT, period. I was a unicorn. So um, going into facility management, it's like, I'm not typical. Anyway, I got long nails. I got locks. Like mm-hmm. you know, if I walk in the room talking about I'm about to, you know, build a building, they're going to be like, sis, who? Right. Like, what are you even mm-hmm. talking about? So, and it's almost like I kind of do that on purpose too, to be a little more bold some people have told me you need to put like a white person in in uh, as a front person for your business. I'm not doing that. I don't care if it's the the demise of my business. But it said you even have to do something like that, though. Yes. And they're like, well, it's the ultimate goal that matters. No. But 
recently though, um, it's been kind of cool to be black. Unfortunately, because of the stuff that happened in 2020, mm -hmm. um, it it hyper elevated, I guess, being black. And so there's a lot more opportunities or at least the appearance of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I don't lead with, I'm a black female, give me money or give me a contract. Absolutely not, because we have a proven track record. Like we, we've done this, we do this in real life. So, um, you know, I, I want that to be of course, explored first, but I have, like, I could see the rejection when I come into, um, like, a meeting where they're like, you on the short list. It's you and two other people. It's like, I've actually done work in this building already. Like, we're mm -hmm. doing something else. And then I got, this was for a police station. There's four police officers, white police officers in, like, this hick town, and, like, one black lady, and then me. And they're like, Wow, look at those nails. I already knew it was over. Oh, yeah, it was over yeah. at that moment. Yep. I already Stereotype knew it was over, and it yep. was. They let me know. When I was getting in the car, I get a call saying, yeah, unfortunately, you didn't get... I'm like, well, what, what changed between when I came in this office and five minutes after I walk out? Yeah. Nothing but my appearance. You know, so... You know, my friend was like, you need to put your picture on the website and da-da-da-da. Um... I'm still battling with that. I had a company uh, with my la one of my last contracts, pest control company needed a cleaning company. And she was like, um, she's black owned company here in Atlanta. And she's like, are you, are you black? <laughs> like literally. And I'm like, yeah. And then she's like, I, you know, I was looking on your website and I was asking like, are they black? And I'm like, well, I guess that's maybe a good thing. I don't know. Like I want it to just be like the work shows itself. Right. And me being black is an additive if it needs to be. If you need to meet your quota, then cool. Like for right. veteran, for a female, for black, great. But you know, I'm 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 cautious with it because it's I'm in I'm in Atlanta. So sometimes that's a benefit because they're like I'm trying to give you all the work because you're the only black female that's mm -hmm. doing this. But on the flip side, you got the guy saying, "Look at your nails. You didn't get the you, job." It's like you already. It's like you already. <laughs> yes. But, and that the thing is, it's sad because that shouldn't even matter. It's like, and you know, you I'm not do doing, the, and you know, I'm not doing the work personally. No, no CEO is out here d scrubbing toilets. Exactly. Like you know, so if you see that my business is doing stuff across the East Coast, mm -hmm. then you know I'm not the one that's doing the work. Mm -hmm. So even at the very least. It's like, well, she probably has workers that can do that. It's almost like they just don't want to do, even though they know they need the work done, they just don't want to do business with you. Right. And that's sad that because of your skin color that they won't, they won't, they'll turn you down. Your work can be five times better than the other person, but because you don't look like them, they end up getting a job. It's a book, another book. I know I mentioned a lot of books. No, I'm, I, I'm I read reader. all the time. It's a book. It's a great book. It's called um, White. Why should white guys have all the fun? And it was a mm. gentleman named Reginald Lewis, and you know he was he was a um, he was he went to school to be a lawyer. Um, he he tried to buy several businesses, and a couple of times the first two times the deals were almost went through, but the, the second one the first one didn't go through. The second one almost went through. They were all signing all the contracts, but when the guy when the guy knew he was black, but once he found out he was black or whatever. It was just like he just made up an excuse. It's like you try to make a side deal with me about this business. So he ended up suing the guy. Yeah. But even though he and he knew the deals weren't going wasn't going through because he was black, but he he didn't use that as an excuse. Yeah. He kept on going. Yeah. So yeah. the third deal, he didn't tell him who he he, he just he kind of played it like he was the middleman. Is like working out a deal for somebody else. Got you. Got you. 
And like right at the time it was closing time, then he let them know like I'm I'm the guy who's gonna be um, running the business. I know I they were like <gasps> exactly, but it was a man. It was a great book. He never used any type of excuses, even though he knew the circumstances. He knew everything he was going up against. It was a great book, and I like it was that. just it's man. It was it was a great book, and he he passed away when he was I think in like fifty two, fifty three. He, mm. he was young when he passed away, but it's like that type of stuff really does exist. And when I was working at my job, I would have these conversations with my coworkers. They didn't look like me. And I would tell them, you know, I'm I'm not going to use my skin color as, a, in, as an excuse as to why I may not receive opportunities. But at the same time, I'm not going to act like that's not it's a not reason happening. why. Exactly. And that's what I was just trying to tell them. It's like, it happens. It's, they they understood it, but at the same time, it's like, nah, they, they could be kind of a... There's excuse. no way they can understand it if they've never been rejected by a loan. Like you said, I've had that same thing where I had the money in the bank that I, that I was asking for. Mm-hmm. I've had the proven track record. When you go into government contracting, like, oh, all you need to do is bring them on an awarded contract. And mm-hmm. they're going to give you the money. All the money going to start flowing. That's false. It depends on your skin color. I have people who started after me, white-owned companies who started... Like literally four years ago, they selling their companies for like a hundred million dollars. Why? They're not putting in more work. Than, you're not telling me you putting in more work than me. That's exactly. a fact. So it's it's like okay, well here we are. Now I know what I have to deal with. And again, no excuses. I'm just doing the best I can with what I have. Hmm. You know. And I think it's a lot of times people look at a black owned business. They all automatically assume that it lacks the quality. It's not up to par as a white-owned establishment or any other business, which it shouldn't be that way. But I'll say this, though. I'm sorry. I didn't mean oh, go ahead. Up. Go ahead. I'll say this. A lot of times, some of those companies are unable to be up to par. I mm-hmm. w- and this is where I realized this. There was a, um, a black hair store near my old house, and he had, like, nothing in there. He had a huge space, but it was so empty. And he said that he was literally, like, blocked from buying the stuff from China and all the places where you would get the stuff from. And so then now I'm looking at like, this place don't have nothing, but then he literally cannot get what he needs to get because you know, the Asians had that locked down for so long. Now it's better, but like mm-hmm. sometimes they may not get, even when I had my, I had a massage studio a long time ago. Like I'm not able to get that. Like I'm, I don't have the access to capital. So I'm just trying to like, uh, band-aid some of these things to make it work and then hopefully I'll get them build up the money in order to make these things better but right now I don't have the ability because I don't have access to capital so it becomes exactly. this perpetual cycle of like I can't get so then I don't produce and then people are like oh this business is not up to par and then on and on we go you know that's, that's a perfect segue to my next question as well <laughs> because a lot of our black owned businesses they don't have the access to capital. They don't. They can't get the necessarily uh, funds or any of the materials that they need for their business to thrive. And sometimes it's our own people that if something doesn't go the way they want it to, they may go online and bash these companies. They like, can't wait. Yeah, they can't wait can't to say wait. something negative about it. Even though they, you can go to Walmart and customer service is not where it needs to be, you you just deal with it. Yeah. But with a black-owned business, it's automatically like, we expect to get a, a deal or we expect the quality to be exceptional right off the off the out the gate. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like we give black owned businesses businesses enough grace as far as like, you know, trying and I'm not saying you, you when you start a business it's it should just start out janky and, and it stays that way or 
put out the best quality that you can, but at the same time, understand that it, it takes time and nothing's going to be perfect. So do you feel like we give black businesses enough grace? Um, yes and no, because I think some people do stay in that janky space. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, one thing I've experienced, I've been in probably, I don't know, a dozen programs. One thing that I think uh, is a problem is in a lot of other cultures, like... They teach their kids to do the thing that they're doing. That kid does that thing. Or at least they send their kids to school to learn how to do better than what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. So I can't pretend like I don't understand certain things because a lot of black people refuse to be knowledgeable about stuff. They mm-hmm. will run a whole million dollar business. They never took a business, business class, never read a book, never even tried to learn about how to be better. And that's a self problem. So mm-hmm, you can't blame absolutely. anybody but yourself mm-hmm. when you're not trying to be better in that aspect. You don't know everything and you're not supposed to. You're not even trying to hire someone to do better. So as far as great, I don't give nobody grace for that. But when it right. comes to that man who was had the, the hair store or the uh, beauty supply store mm-hmm. was trying, like he's paying $5,000 a month trying to pay for this space and he can only sell $500 worth of stuff a, a month. He's doing everything in his yeah, power. Yeah, that, that is different. Yeah, I, I, so it's I, like, but I, I then, but the person's gonna bash the place without get. I ask. I'll be like, so what's going on here? You know, I want to know. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person, so I want to know what, what is the challenge here? The fact that you don't have stuff in here. And when he broke it down, that man wanted to cry, mm-hmm. and I wanted to cry with him because right. I'm like, what a position to be in. And now you got people talking bad, like this is the worst beauty supply store I've ever been to in my life, and mm-hmm. it's like. You don't even know, you know, mm-hmm. but then also me as a consumer, I can't feel bad because I need what I need, too. So there's just right. so many elements to these things. Like the only thing I don't give grace for, well, though, as far as knowledge, but then customer service. So oh, by no matter nature, what customer service, you still that, be respectful. God. But that's also a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's not just it's not just black. Yeah, we know true. that. Mm-hmm. But. You know, here in Atlanta, there's so many, so many black people that a lot of businesses are, you know, at least the people working in the front of black. So, you know, then you're thinking about the customer service and it's just so many elements to it. I really try to get to the bottom of whatever it is. Uh, for me personally, even if I go to a black owned business, I'm, I'm always I always want to support because I want to see them do well. And if it's something I don't like. I'm not going. I'm not the type to go on social media and just bash anybody anyway. So I'm not going to do that to any business, especially a black-owned business. Now, if somebody comes up to me personally and they ask me about it somewhere I went, and I'm, I might tell them it wasn't the best. But you'll never see it, see it go online and mm. say just throw this business under the bus because at the same time they still trying to feed their family and take care of themselves as well. But like you said, that doesn't give you an excuse to like lack that knowledge and not have like. Have your customer service be up to par. Like no matter who you are, your business is still you know thriving customer service anyway because these Period. are the people that's gonna help you know take care, keep you in business. Right. On top of all of that. But, right, right. And you know um, that gentleman, I can't think of his name, but he went to uh, Candy's restaurant. What is it called? Two uh, O. The thing that she has for her mom, the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of went through how they changed their customer service. Um, process because they saw him and they know he's like a reviewer of restaurants oh i uh i forgot the guy's name the guy with the dread i forgot yes. his name yeah i yeah. know what you're talking about so mm-hmm. it's like that's unacceptable to me 
You know what I mean? Whether, because especially. It shouldn't matter who he is. Shouldn't matter. And then you don't know who you're talking to anyway. There's, there's millionaires walking around right now. You wouldn't even know. They, they're just whatever. So not that that's, uh, they should be treated differently, but you still shouldn't treat people differently just because you're, you have your own ideal about who exactly. they are, what they do. Treat everybody the same yeah. no matter who they are. That way you don't have to, have, you don't even have that um, issue. Yeah. Um, I saw one of your, um, a post that you had where, um, speaking of customer service mm -hmm. you had a guy reach out to he dm'd you and uh complimented you on about how clean the seats at the stadium were the oh, yeah. stadium were. um how, how did that make you feel clap for that yeah. <laughs> because that's that's a great deal because you never know who's watching or because uh, a lot some people may not care when they go to an event they just want to support their team but to me i do like cleanliness now it's, especially as i get older i I'm big on customer service. When I was younger, I didn't care. I'm right, just going in, get what I need. Now, uh, cleanliness, you know, like, professionalism, I like all of this yeah. stuff now. So, and you, like I say, you never, and I tell people, be mindful of when you do work, be mindful of what you post, be mindful of what you do and how you carry yourself because you never know who's watching. Yes. And this gentleman reached out to you and um, complimented you on that how was clean incredible. everything was. I ain't going to... Yeah, I was going to say, how, how did that make you feel? Oh, man. It was, it was a moment. It was definitely a moment, you know, because I don't... Of course, I have no idea. And I'm not even in Philly. You know what I mean? Right. So I know my people were doing good work, but, you know, I don't see them every day. I don't even see them really at all. And for someone to say that they've seen a difference and they got a new baby and, you know, I kind of looked at his Facebook like it, this is his first kid. So, you know, you are, you're on that like germs, germs, germs type thing when you have a kid. And it was like the fact that this person reached out and said, thank you. Like this, this, I see the difference. That was a very incredible feeling. Like, I, again, I'm very like, I try to be very humble and. You know, I don't share my wins as much as I should, but I felt really good about that one. Absolutely. That's that's super important because, like I said, I'm big on that type of stuff. If it's clean and it's crazy <laughs> because uh, my cousin, he just went to um, – he was just in Philly. He he went to the Eagles game. The Eagles okay, the yeah, right, game right in the Sunday. same quarter, yeah. Um, but he when I was just asking him how it was or whatever, he was like, man, he, he said he, he was nice. So he said, now nah, it's kind of Philly. It's kind of dirty a little bit or whatever. He, he yeah, did mention we, it. We're trying to do that stadium. Look, tell him, yeah. tell him to give me a, somebody that he know because we were trying to do that one as well because they were people were complaining about the actual football stadium. Mm -hmm. so. And then so one thing, like, just the town was kind of like dirty or whatever. So you Damn. know it was like that. So yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to figure out a way to, to, <laughs> Please, to make that happen. Please, put me in, coach. Do put you, me in. Do you still have to deal with the Phillies, mm -hmm. though. So the, you, the season's so, over, but yes. So when it comes back around, it, man, that's that's a, see, that's a blessing, and that type of stuff right there, people can look forward to it, knowing you got people there. They gonna make sure everything is clean and, and to the T. So they be working, yo. Say, they be always working. be mindful of the, of the work that you put in, because at the end of the day, even with doing interviews, like it's my name on the line. Like I don't yeah. want people to have a, a bad experience. I want to make sure everything is up to par. Yeah, um, and. Now I always I tell people even people think it's just setting up cameras and that's it you go talk like no I I put a lot of work and preparation into it because my brother I understand I, like for you I appreciate you taking the time to sit with me so I don't want to take people to think I'm taking their time for granted because you could be doing a lot of other things right now but you're sitting willing to take your time out of your day to sit down and have a conversation with me I need to be prepared so I make sure I have my notes I know it's Probably may have been we went over the time or whatever. No, this is great. Yeah. I told you I could talk all day. Yeah. As long as I'm not in charge, we're right. good. We can do this all day. But I tell people you have to take your crap serious and, and I don't and if especially if I'm gonna drive two hours or two hours, a little bit over mm -hmm. two hours away from my home and then, you know, being away from my kids, like 
I take this serious. Like, I don't no, want I people appreciate to take. That. I don't want to take what I'm doing for granted because my kids and my family, and then at the same time with you, you got kids, you got a family, you got a business, multiple businesses to run. Like, I don't want people to think I'm taking their time for granted. So it's always, you know, super important to you know take what you're doing seriously, and it, oh, and yeah. it reflects in what you're doing as well. Yeah, I mean, cause I'm. <sighs> I don't want to use the term Nazi, but like I'm serious about what I like. Just like you said, you look at stuff, you're like, okay, this is not clean. Like, and I saw your necklace. So you got three kids. Three babies. Yeah, they look little. Are they well, stair they're steps? Well, they now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got two nine-year-olds. So I got two nine-year-olds and a uh, five-year-old. Ah. Now my two nine-year-olds, they two months apart. So I had them when I was in college, and I was just ah. living. So. <laughs> like you said, I was yeah, living. Yeah, <laughs> I was living. I was living then. Oh, but funny. they my babies, though. I actually um, I actually got full custody of my son, his mom. So I was with my daughter's mom, and um, when she found out I had another child outside of her, she was hurt, of course. Well, we, we stayed together. We tried to work it out, and we had another baby together, my youngest daughter, Jada. Gotcha. But my son's mom, she... She just kind of yeah come and go, so I got ended up getting full custody of him. Oh, so he's beautiful. with me, yeah. So wow, but yeah, that's I actually get wrote about it in my book too. I got a book that I wrote called "F School Life Is Your Best Teacher." Oh, I like that. Yeah, and on the front of it, it's a um picture of my is picture me and my son. And he's holding my um degree. I don't think I have it in my book bag. Hmm. Um, but he's holding my de- college degree. So when you look at the cover art, you're like, why is he saying F school? But he has a degree, but once you read it, you understand I'm not telling anybody not to go to school because clearly um, I have a degree. And then I said in the book, I said, I'm all for education, but understand what you're going for because if not, you're just wasting time and money. And I have I, a degree. And I and for me, I tell people, like, when I went to school, like, I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. Exactly. Like, you go to high school, college, you get a job, and you stay there till you're ready to retire. That's what I thought life was until I graduated from college and went to work. Mm. working two jobs to pay student loans and i was like, like this math is not math something ain't right about this so i was like something gotta give so right. that's when i ended up stopping and you know creating my own opportunity start my business and um it just been one thing after another just started out local interviews and it just started you know it started atlanta charlotte then hopping on planes to uh miami that's uh, went to so vegas dope. new york i'm um, going back to la again i mean it's just been me uh me and my camera guy um did Three tours, um, called it a self-investment tour, because we put up our own money mm. and hit the road and started traveling, interviewing wow. entrepreneurs. So, um, just been betting on myself. So, I'm, I've been thankful for the journey. Um, Good for you. And you do YouTube, right? YouTube as well. Yeah, it's on every major platform. I put everything on my website as well. Um, but it's definitely been a journey. It's one interview I tell people that changed my life. It's an interview that I did with one of my role models. He's, my mentor, he changed my life. His name is Ben Hall. Okay. And it's called One Man, One Stove. And what happened was my camera guy at the time, Dominique, he actually moved down this way. He was like, hey, man, you need to reach out to this guy named Ben. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll shoot him a message. So Ben played high school football at Burns. He was the number one tight end in the country coming out of high school. Then he went to play football at Clemson and then played a little bit of pro- professional football. Mm-hmm. And when I reached out to him, so – I'm, I set, um, we exchanged messages on, on Facebook, gave him a call. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to just call and just set up an interview, give me a time, place, and all that. Boom, that's it, end of the conversation. So <laughs> then he just started asking me different questions, man. So he's like, what is it that you do, man? He's like, what what do you want to become? 
And I, you know, a lot of times when people talk to you, they say, "Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up?" Yeah. Stuff like that. But I guess it was the way he kind of worded everything. It. Like, mm-hmm. what do you want to become? I'm like, man, right. nobody really asked Ask me that that, way. That, that that ways. So it made me think deep. And he's like, so we stayed on the phone. A five minute conversation turned <laughs> into about thirty minutes, just talking about life goals and everything. So I'm like, man, that's deep. This interview is gonna be special when we when we shot it. But probably about a week or two later, we went to his house. This was pro- he was probably like my fifth guest that I had on. And he was just showing me like he had a, a tons of different books in his house. He had a picture that had him on the front cover of a magazine. And what it what happened was he came back home from playing professional football, tried his hand at different things. Mm. When he got a nine to five, but he, he used to start baking cakes and just taking it, sitting it in the break room and people would like it banana pudding different I type of cakes I love that kind of stuff and he was like they asked him hey can you try this cake can you try this one so he would try it he was doing his market research right there went to work on a random Monday I never forget he told me he said I went to work on a random Monday I had $800 in my bank account and I just quit went home That's started baking he said this, and I went all in on cakes and <laughs> he was like he didn't know what was going to happen but, you know, he said he stepped out on faith and he just knew, like, once he learned to be obedient and stay mm-hmm. committed to the process, mm-hmm. everything, he was like, everything that you see. And at the time, we shot the interview at his house. He said, man, you see me on a magazine and all this stuff, but you don't understand the process. And he was like. And then he's on a magazine for his cakes. Mm-hmm. And all the other stuff that he did before really mm-hmm. didn't do anything for that that specific exactly. moment and he's That's like so man he's like you look like i'm on a magazine look like i got a cooking show and I, I still get goosebumps talking about it and he's like man and i'm one man one stove because he was cooking baking cakes in his house with one stove one man, one stove, and that's why i named the episode one man one stove that's so dope and we shot that interview and about six months after that he ended up opening his very first storefront nice. got his own storefront and it's still thriving today but he was like man he just learned that's to be, a very tough industry learned like, to be obedient like he cut out all the distractions yes. he said he went celibate for like two years he didn't deal with oh yeah he was super dedicated was so some people are not that dedicated though mm-hmm. that's one of the things i tell people like you are saying you're doing these things but you're not sacrificing there's people i know who make millions of dollars they make 10 million dollars and they have sacrificed all their kids trust fund their mortgage their own like everything in order to make their business work mm. i don't know how dedicated like i've gotten to some really low points but are you at the point where you won't pay your mortgage in order to pay payroll that's like where you're like oh this is for real like mm-hmm. i'm not just gonna say oh i'm not worrying about that this is really happening mm-hmm. so some people are not that dedicated to where you i mean whatever but pick your own vice you're like i am going to be fully in this no matter what i was working full-time close my i had an office so close my office door do not knock do not disturb while i'm putting in bids mm-hmm. i was you know like everybody mm-hmm. has that moment where you're like am i really doing this do All i really right. want to do this man i tell people I, i've even had days where um even been i remember one of the stories he told me he was he said man i he said man i he had a lady that wanted a cake in atlanta he said he took a cake I think she was only going to, he, he charged only $40 for the cake. Mm. He said, man, he just, he said, she just, he just knew that she really wanted the cake. He said, he baked the cake, took it down to $40. And he said, the next thing he know, that lady told one person, people. one person equals and seven people. And he said, people. it just started snowballing. He said, even on, and every first Monday, every first Monday of each month, we do uh, 
um, men of vision Bible study. Mm-hmm. And even on those days where he's closed, people still show up, even though he's closed, <laughs> looking to buy cake all the time, any type of dessert, cakes, ice cream, everything. Wow, wow. But he said that's just a true testament to, you know, being obedient because he's like, I can't control. And he said, I'm just showing you that I'm putting my faith in God because I can't control who comes in and buy these cakes. Right. I'm just showing God that I'm being obedient, doing my part, getting up every morning, baking these cakes, sending them in the stores, and knowing that I'm doing my part. Yes. God is sending the people to come in and, and supply yeah. every time. He's like, that's just, you got to be committed to the process. Yes. And, and there's days where even if you're like, I, I'm done with this ish here. I don't want to do nothing else. And you still got to remember, like, I'm fortunate and probably you're fortunate enough to where you're not always committed to something every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when you are, it's like showing up 100 percent for whatever, for whoever or whatever. I don't want to do site visits. And especially if they're going to tell me that I'm not going to get the job, you know, what I mean, but I'm Mm -hmm. still showing up in my, you know, in my uniform acting so enthusiastic about everything you're telling me and, you know, just in the back of my mind, they're probably not going to pick me, but you know, those things are what you have to do. And there's so many people that are not going to do it and they were never like that anyway, Mm -hmm. man. And I I tell people, people may think at times for me that I'm making a lot of money off of what I'm doing. Like I've made money here and there, but it has still hasn't been anything like consistently. But I still show up and do the work because I love I love the craft. And it's been times people will, will, will want to come do some stuff with me. But they're like, hey, are you paying? I'm like, bro, just come in and learn. I'm trying to, like, teach you, like, give you opportunities to, you know, network and meet other people. Yeah. But I still just show up knowing that I'm taking away time from my kids. And it hurts sometimes when, like, I've missed football practices, football games. Daughter had uh, uh, school plays. And I've missed some of those things because I'm like, man, I'm I'm putting in the work now, so it's going to benefit my kids in the long run. But yeah, I just want to show them it's not okay to settle. I don't want thank them to think it's okay to settle. So I still show up with everything I have going on, putting my best foot forward, and just you know put my faith in God, man. And I've had days where I was like, man, I don't even, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how this thing gonna work out. Yeah, yeah, and you still showed up. So that's. You know, and it goes to sometimes people say, I'm going to hire, not all family members are bad, but I'm going to hire this family member. I'm going to hire this person and work with them. When you know they were a piece of shit anyway, you Mm -hmm. just make in your mind, you're like, I want to help all these people be this and elevate them to this. You're that way. But everybody else Everybody's is not that not, way. Or they would only Everybody be, don't have the same drive. Yep. Or there wouldn't be any workers, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody got to be a leader. Somebody got to be a follower. Yep. I can be a follower, but most of the time I'm a leader. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And the same with you. So it's like people will try to bring people into something that they already know they're not going to. It's not for them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I always, I try my best, you know, especially I'm all about, you know, giving people opportunities. Especially yeah. if, it, if it's our people, man, I'm going to do my best. Every do what I can, like so. You're still young, so you still got that like hope in your heart. (laughs) But people like me have been, and I still do it, but like you know, that jaded feeling of like I've tried to get my sister over and over and over. And I'm like, when you're ready, if you're ever ready, I'm here, but I'm not gonna, um, you know, go forth and really drag you into something where you can potentially create your own demise, you know. I had I had a young man. Very first game of the season with the Hornets. I walked in there, and how you present yourself matters. Suit and tie, everything. I was, people were just complimenting me on my suit and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was getting ready to head to my seat. And this young kid, I think he's getting ready to graduate from high school this year. 
He's like, excuse me, sir. He's like, can you, um, do you have any advice that you can give me so I can be in your position one day? Wow. This kid doesn't even know. I'm still learning a lot myself, but just being the in a position. My presentation. And he sees somebody that looks like him because when you're working in the media covering like professional sports, it's a lot of politics that goes into that stuff. And it's, you don't see a lot of African-Americans covering the game. Like most of the time you see us, we're playing the game. Yeah. And the people that critique you, critique us, don't look like us. Yeah. So for somebody to be in that position, it means a lot. So when he reached out to me and when he came up to me, this humble kid, Ask me, hey, can you uh, give me some advice to how I can be in your position one day? Man, it just made me feel good. I was like, how can I even turn this kid down? Because of course, right. I know what it feels like to be in that position, and you don't know who you can turn to and ask for advice. So I'm like, man, Come I'm on, still learning. Come on, Let's talk. Hey, yeah. We're going to talk. If, I'm gonna be a, if I can't help you, I may know somebody else that can give you some right. information. Like, I'm not going to turn anybody away because especially no, 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 for no, our no. people, it's already hard enough. It's already hard enough. So I'm going to do everything I can. Now, what you do with the opportunity, that's on that's you. That's on you. The only thing I can do is just try to help you the best way I can. For sure. And especially someone to be that young and, and know that they at least see something that they want. Exactly. That's not, especially now. I mean, these kids, you know, they have a lot more opportunity than we had, than I had. Um, and I'm not even necessarily saying that I would be taking advantage of the opportunities if I was young at this time, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, I asked my kids, like my daughter's more entrepreneurial than my son. So I'm like, do you feel like you have too many opportunities? And they said they feel like they do. Like they feel like there's just so many people doing so many things that you almost kind of withdraw and say, I'm not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to follow this very narrow path where we would have begged to be able to be monetized on YouTube. Man, I'll be, you know how many videos I would make if I was right. back in the day, like, it'd be monetized on YouTube and that's all I got to do? Oh, please. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'll be a gozillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> but the opportunities are there. Um, and like I said, for me, I don't force my religion on anybody. I, I never do anything like that, but it's just me for me. I just know God, the, it's, it's, a, it's not a lack of abundance and God is going to always provide. So just because you see somebody in the field that, that you aspire to be in, don't be afraid to, you know, to yeah. try to take your chance because everybody has an audience and you may, s people may not gravitate towards one person, but they yes. may gravitate towards the way you put something together. So it's always opportunities out here. Just, um, take just advantage be you. of And, and be you. the only thing, you know, people just really, is, this is like the, my, what does my son say? Like the world of cap. Like everybody's just trying to be somebody else and it's just so hard to maintain that. It mm -hmm. is just so much easier to just be you. If you have anyone who likes you ever, then you know that you are delivering something special about your personality. Just be your be yourself Absolutely. and deliver that and it's going to work out. Your your tribe will find you. you can, I think that's part of the problem too is like with so many people posting like their wins like, you don't know what's real or what's not because then you'll see people, you know, posting. It's like, it's like bro, I know you in real life. Exactly. I know you in real life. I know you sleeping on your mama's couch mm -hmm. and, you're, and you're giving financial advice. I'm sorry. I can't rock with that. Exactly. Like, I had a friend that was um, in Forbes and she was literally being evicted. That's what messed that's me crazy. up. That's crazy. Mess, that is where my mindset changed. Like, see, that's it's a, all fake. It's all fake. Is, and it's and, before I got into all this, you know, so... I'm like, I, like I said, you can ask me anything mm -hmm. and you'll have the answer because I'm not, it's so much easier. And that's me. why I always tell people, I mean, you can't be, a, you won't be a hundred percent correct about everybody, but that's why I like 
you're doing face-to-face interviews so you mm. can get a feel for the person you build a relationship yeah. with them um you still won't know everything about that person but that's why when i do my research i take my time read articles yeah, and everything that's appreciated. and then when you sit and have conversations with these people then you can get a better feel for them because yeah. it's easy to just turn on the computer and do an interview and then okay thank you bye that's it i like to you know build relationships and stay connected with these people and and you can tell how genuine they are when you finally sit down with them. And then some people don't do well via message. You know what I mean? Like right. a lot of people feel like when they saw me, they I was mean or rude or a bitch or whatever. And then they're like, you're so sweet. And I'm like, right. how did you not think I was sweet? <laughs> but I guess my presentation can be a little bit different than what, you know, I am internally. So Perfect same <laughs> way to get back to our question again. Because we... We, we, we got know, all the way around the question, but this is where we left off at. But this is a um, a perfect segue. Mm-hmm. Like that I was getting ready to ask you earlier is, um, being a woman of color, like, why do you feel, well, just in general, why do you feel people are um, have an issue with women being in those authoritative positions? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I just think that our, every society, when it comes to women being in charge of anything, is always going to be questionable like is she being emotional or she gonna be because you can either be passive or a bitch those are the those are the two things there's nothing in between and so even even as women we do that to each other where you know is she gonna be this way or is she gonna be that way and Mm -hmm. so with that it's it's something that was kind of put into us and some of us haven't unlearned it and some of us have experienced bad situations with women or women of color and it's just like the automatic thought is this. Now it may change after you work with them, talk to them. Um, or you might be right. She might be super, super passive to a fall or she might be a B. So I think it's just something that we, we've had to deal with or you've dealt with actually. And we just lead with that. Right. Mm-hmm. I always look at it like women are just like nurturers. Like they always, you know, to me, they... they they make things better. Like when I look at my mom, mm-hmm. my grandmother, my my daughter's mother, my mother, they um they always you know make things better. Like if I need something, like even now you know me um being on the road, mm-hmm. mom is there you know making sure everything is good. Right. My daughter's mom making sure the girls are, are taken care of and everything. And even when I have my down moments, you know they just talk to me. You know pick pick your head up, keep on going. You gonna you gonna be all right. You know. And that means a lot to me, you know, of having course. women, you know, in my life that are always supportive and, you know, pushing me to be better. So I always look at it like it's a blessing to have that. But I know some people automatically think like women just can't do certain, which, which they're not as phys- physically gifted well, yeah. as men, of course. And I'm not going to pretend like I am. Right. When I was in the <laughs> army, I'm like, I will not be doing that. Right. So I, I totally get that. But then you, you have a positive experience with women. Absolutely. Whereas if you got mommy issues... You know, that can go one way or another. Even for women, women have mommy issues. I, I always say that mommy issues are worse than daddy issues. And mm. so if you're a man or a woman with mom issues, then you just always have a, a a way that you treat women, whether it's really you love, love, love women because you're missing that element or you hate them, that's you know? A good, that's a good point. So too. it's yeah, like there's so, many, about, yeah. there's so many elements to people's way of thinking and they don't even know it they don't know it themselves so but then you know i guess i had like a sub in psychology and so there's certain things that i'm thinking about or looking for when i'm talking to someone like 
I can kind of see what happened. Mm-hmm. A little bit, a little window to the way they think, you know, like super clingy people probably have mommy issues. You know, like those those mm-hmm. little things and that translates into so many other things, you yeah. know, in the workplace and everything. And, and it also like, talking about that, it's like what you see from your, your, um, your parents or whatever. So like, yeah. And it, for instance, <laughs> for for instance, like, like for for women, when you see if your father's in your life and he's a strong father figure, when you see that, you like that's what you look for in a man. Same thing with a man. It's like when you see your mother doing all of these motherly duties, was cooking and cleaning and just being that backbone of the family. You want to you look for a woman that's similar to that as well. It's like that's a strong mother figure that's gonna hold the household down and, and do those type of things like when you see like you said when you see that type of stuff that's kind of like what you will for not necessarily saying it's gonna always be that way but when you when you have somebody like that in your life of course you want you want something that kind of re- resembles that yeah and then you you'll be that i think that was oh we good okay Let me just use this one. um and then you'll be that mm-hmm. because like my grandmother was always so um Oh. Oh, good. <laughs> my grandmother was always so strong you know what I mean so now you've raised me to be this aggressive woman mm-hmm. and I didn't even know I was aggressive until I ran into a man who was like whoa you know hold what you got <laughs> like right. why are you being this way and then now I'm like oh well maybe I should adjust so you're you're not even knowing you know what you're what you're what you've been raised as and if you don't have any males around and all those things so you know, all that stuff translate into, you know, if I maybe if I grew up with a father, a father figure, maybe I wouldn't have gone to the military, you know, mm-hmm. and then the military is treating me, teaching me how to be a strong person, regardless of, of gender. Mm-hmm. So now it's like aggressive grandmother, then aggressive military, and then I'm in a male dominated field, and right. then I'm in another male dominated field on the business side. So by all intents and purposes, I'm supposed to be a total bitch, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, all those things kind of feed into what you ultimately either are going to be or you want to be totally opposite. Absolutely. Yeah. These are going to be my last three questions and we'll get ready to wrap it up. Have you found um, a balance in like your work and your personal life as far as like being a mom and, you know, taking care of the family and, you know, being an entrepreneur? Have you found that balance? So it's, it's like a running joke in my little circle that the balance is no balance. So, you know, there was always like, oh, the work-life balance because I was, you know, I was working full times and I was traveling probably three or four times a month in, with just my job and mm-hmm. then insert the business. I was traveling with the business and then my, my daughter was volleyball and my son was in football and basketball and then everything else, you know, cooking. I was cooking four days a week. Like I was, I was for real. Like I was domesticated and a business owner mm-hmm. and, um, you know, working full time and dedicating my mind to the army. Um so it really, I got to a point where I'm like, I'm about to lose it. Like for real, I'm about to lose it and I have to figure out what I need to do. And so it was really just one thing at a time, like schedule. For me, what works, I'm, I guess because I'm naturally ambitious, I'm not a lazy person. So if you're a, by nature, like a relaxed person, it, this may not work for you. But mm-hmm. for me, like scheduling everything, I'm talking scheduling the grocery store, scheduling, you know, all the kids events. Mm-hmm. And doing one thing at a time and being present in that moment for that thing. If I'm at work, typically I'm at work unless I dedicate half of my day to work and then the rest for me to BS around because everybody do it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like really setting that those things when they need to be set. That's right. really, it's not really a balance because 
I've missed gazillions of events for my kids. I've missed stuff for work and I've missed stuff for my business. You know, mm-hmm. like something something's gonna be sacrificed. Right. And then I'm very serious about my self care. So yeah. I'm gonna get my <laughs> I'm gonna get my facial, I'm gonna get my massage, I'm gonna get my hair, take I'm gonna get my nails done. I have to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just inserting those things. Cause we all got time. We got time to scroll on Facebook, on Instagram, on mm-hmm. TikTok. We got time. It's just all about like how are you fitting it in? How you fit I take naps. How you fitting your naps in? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's like I I've always heard um, Shannon Sharp. Um, it's this clip I, I saved in my phone. Is where Shannon he says uh, uh, the the tight end for the Denver Broncos, Baltimore Ravens, the Hall mm-hmm. of Famer. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. He's yes, on yes. first take with Steve yeah, 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 Smith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I always love listening to him, and I, I saved this clip in my phone when we were talking about balance, and he was just saying he's like, "There is no balance." He said, <laughs> yeah. When you want to be great at something, there is no balance. He said, "When you when you look at the greats like a LeBron James, a Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady." <laughs> All of these guys sacrifice so much time. They miss recitals or anything. A lot of time Everything. with their family. But when you really want to be great at some, even business owners, um, you give up so much. But you because you're so committed to what you're doing, he's like there is no balance. Yeah. So, like when you really want to be great, that's that's out the window. You have to make the best of that time. But he said just forget about balance. Now it's he's like it's nothing wrong with you know doing a nine to five, being there for your family, and everything. But when you want something, when you want something greater. Or you want to be great at something, your craft, they say there is no balance. Because you can't be regular. Nope. Regular is, you know, like that 9 to 5 life, getting up at 7 o'clock, being at work at 9, getting off, cooking dinner and, and eating and watching TV. That's regular. There's mm-hmm. no way you're going to get to the stratosphere that way. And that's totally cool to be that. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. know, but like you said, like when Kobe was uh, coaching for his daughter's team, he had like a summer program. I was just telling my kids about this the other day. He had a summer program and they were the person who was interviewing them, their camp was like, um, do you feel bad about the girls doing practices? I think it was two or three times a day. He said, what you mean? Like literally the whole neck right. jerk back. What you mean? Like I'm the uh, arguably one of the greatest players to ever touch the NBA, to touch a basketball. I'm teaching these girls to be the best they could possibly be. Absolutely. So what, why wouldn't they practice three times a day? What are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> it was almost like he was insulted. You know what I mean? Because that, he knows what it takes to be great. what it takes. Mm-hmm. So how can you even argue? Yeah. Don't put your kid on this team. Like, exactly. that's an easy a easy out, mm-hmm. you know? My my mentor, uh, Ben, the guy I was telling mm-hmm. me about, I'm never... Because I played this interview all the time, mm-hmm. and the thing he's... It did resonate with me back then when we first shot the interview, but now when I go back and listen to it, he always says, you can't be normal and great at the same time. Oh, man, you, that's you great. Can't, I you love can't be normal that. and great at the same time. I so love that. when you committed to something and you put go all in, just understand it's going to come with, you know, sacrifices, some things you may have to give up. He said it may be times when it's something that you really, what you really need to do has to come before what you really want to do, like being yeah. with your family. So he said that's, that just comes with it. And the more I go along, the more I, I see it. I'm like, man, it's crazy. I, I think I'm going to have to send you that interview because yeah, so many things that we talked, and this was five years ago, but it was so many things that we talked about in that interview, it still resonates today. And I'm like, man, he really said all this stuff was going to happen. He was it, dropping those gems. And that goes back to the rejection. Like you can't even, you literally have to be, super grown in this process you know what mm-hmm. i mean like the rejection is just a small factor like that's probably out of a hundred things that's just one thing one or two things you'll need to deal with and you just have to know that 
everything is like you said being great you have to be okay with everything all the pitfalls all the and even some people don't feel like they deserve to be successful, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other factor that, you know, you have to address. Like, can I, can I really handle $400,000 a month? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> you but know, man, it's, I want, I'm going to let you talk about that as well. Why do you feel people may not, why do you think people may not feel like they're worthy of a certain, like, like that type of income or anything? Why do you feel like some people don't feel like they're worthy? Or even if they see something, sometimes they're like, man, I want to put in for this job or this opportunity, but I know I'm not going to get it. They gonna, I don't have the experience. I'm not qualified. Why do you feel like people may think in their mind it's like they're not worthy of certain things? They have things? low self-esteem. And it could be low self-esteem for something, nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. So they just don't feel like, they literally feel like they're not worthy. So then you got to back that up and say, well, why do you feel like you're not worthy? Well, I got rejected for this camp when I was eight. And that, and it is kind of spiral from there. And then you just chose not to go after anything else in life. And so now you're fast forward, you're an adult and you're still feeling that same way that that eight year old kid felt. Just like when DMX, before he died, he still was crying about what his mother did to him when she put him in that, in that uh, group home. And this man mm-hmm. was 50 something years old. That stuff it. don't change. Mm-hmm. So just because you're an adult doesn't mean that you just magically have the answer. Right. Like you just grow up and whatever hasn't been resolved is still lingering no matter how long ago it was. You know, and then people don't, they're afraid of the whatever it takes to get to that thing. Like, say, I'm not gonna, I'm not worthy of that job. I'm probably not gonna get that job because I, when I tried to go to school, I didn't have the funds to go to school, so I never got that education. You know what I mean? So it's just so many elements that take you to, uh, to, to this final thought, and then because, and then you get older, so it's like, well, now I'm too old to try to do that. Like I hear that from my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm now I'm too old to even try to get a house. It doesn't matter as long as you're still breathing and living on this earth. If you tell yourself that you go, your words are powerful. Words are powerful. Your your thoughts become things. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean. And so, um, it's if you feel like you have never had that amount of money, like I never had that amount of money until this year. You know what I mean. Like I never. You talk about somebody who was like literally homeless. So how could I ever fathom having a $400,000 a month? That doesn't even, those things don't match. For all intents right. and purposes, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to still be on that trajectory. And most mm-hmm. people are. And you have to really say, I don't care. Like you have to have so much, I don't, what is it, I-D-A-F in you in order to believe in yourself. Yeah, I-D-G-A-F. like, nah, say that right. I-D-G-A-F. I, about so much stuff in order to be successful because mm-hmm. everybody's going to look at you crazy at some point mm-hmm. and you just got to be like, nah. I, almost like ignorant, like, yeah. la, 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 I got this, you know? I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm the middle child and I think I'm kind of like <laughs> the, the one child. that's kind of like, I guess like a renegade. Like I, like, I like to do my own thing. Like, of course I listen to my parents. None of us, all me, my brother, my sister, we all, um, we all went to school, got our degrees, but I'm kind of like the one it's like when I see stuff, I'm like, why does everybody think the same way? Like they, everybody is trained to like do the same thing. Like right. even when I worked outside, it, even when I worked at Costco, people would tell me, "Hey, you, you went to school, you got your degree," say, and they would say, "Man, you get a great job, you got great benefits, stay here, and that's it." Everybody would tell me the same thing, and I'm like, "Man, it's it's cool, or whatever, but it ain't what, what I, I want to really do." Want. Exactly, but majority of people, when you tell them that, talk to them, and you tell them you got a degree or 
they'll say, man, you go get your job with great benefits and you just gonna stay there and save up for your retirement. But I'm like, it's, if that's what you wanna do, fine. But for me, I'm like, man, I, I would rather put my own future in my own hands and create my own opportunity doing something that I wanna do, building something that I know that's for me. And uh, when I, once I finally walked away from my job a few months ago, mm. I was there for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was there since my junior year in college. I was 21 when I started there. Wow. And when I left, it was just, when I when I hit 10 years, the only thing they gave me was a card. Thank you for your service. And I was like, that's it. Like, All right. I mean, you know, it's like, I love, I've always been an entrepreneur, like I kind of said, but you got to be like really insane to walk off your job. Mm -hmm. Like you, we're a part of this elite group of like aliens who are just straight mm -hmm. like, I got this secure job, making enough money to survive. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to go out to the unknown. And that is such a, like, you. there's literally got to be something different in our brain. And I love it because mm -hmm. we can pivot too. You're not afraid to pivot. And that fear is the same fear that people have. I'm not worthy to get this job. I'm not, I'm not even deserving of getting this amount of money. But you're like, shoot, like the sky's the limit. I already know what this is like. I want to see what this is like over here. And Absolutely. that's nobody that's like the entrepreneurs of the world and the ones who like invent and all these kind of things like they're going to be totally they're going to be totally different than those who are just like that comfortable setting right. obviously and i'm like i said i'm i'm big on my faith and I, I never um forced it on anybody but it was just it had just got to a point where i was just waking up getting going to work and doing the same thing over and over again and um, I just was agitated. I, I got tired of going to work. Um, I didn't want to be there. And I just didn't feel like I was growing. And, and think just, about all the people who think that same way every single day and they never leave. But they're afraid to leave. And a lot of people tell me, man, I wish I could do what you're doing. I'm like, man, you can. Yeah. And it was just like, and I, I would have subtle things like people like going to the covering different games, like working with the Hornets and covering South Carolina State. And even when I would go into these events, people with venues, people would ask me, hey, you who you work for? And I'm telling them, you know, I work for myself. It's power in saying that. And then they ask me, are you hiring? So mm. it's like, I feel like God is just sending me these people, sending people my way. It's like, I feel like I'm supposed to, you know, help get them an opportunity and inspire them some type of way. Absolutely. But then when I would go back to work, it's just like, I'm agitated. I'm like, <laughs> everything they say, everything. you're like, what? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm looking at all the work that I'm putting in and the people up top or the ones who rake, raking all the benefits and I'm just like, and I don't mind being a team player, but I'm like, I know if I can do this for y'all, I can do this for myself. A hundred times over. And it was just like, God just, I just felt like God was just making me so uncomfortable. It was like, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. And I'm just like, that's when you know you have faith though, because it's like, God, I trust you, but I don't know if I'm really ready, ready to walk away from this stability and do my own thing. Yeah. But it's like, if you really committed to what you want to do, and you got your faith in God. Now, that's, that's faith when you can just walk away. And ever since I left about three months ago, like, I, I had money saved up Good. and everything. And I'm That just does like, make a difference. It does make a difference. <laughs> and I'm like, if I can always go back and get another job. Yeah. I got a degree. But it was just like everything about the job was just, you know, agitating me. And I, I didn't <laughs> want to talk to people. they said the wrong people. thing to yeah. you, you were like, what? <laughs> and um, so I was just like, it's time. So I had typed up a letter and everything because I had – Back in the summer, I stepped down to part-time. Then I typed up a letter. Wow. And um, about my resignation this time. And actually, we had started bumping heads with management and everything. So it was wow. crazy because I kept telling people, 
in the at work, I was like, man, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm about to be done. And I would just tell uh, my daughter's mom the same thing. And she always said, well, when you ready, let me know when you ready. Oh, that's and dope because that's that's, a, that's not yeah. easy either. So one morning, we kept bumping heads with management. And I'll be honest, it was times where I just woke up late and I didn't care about <laughs> Or it been times that's where I was. No. I would wake up and I would just sit there like, man, I don't feel like going. So the one morning I got up. Early that morning, and I typed my letter. So the same thing that I did with my um, part time when I stepped, went from full time to part time, mm -hmm. I put that letter up in my locker the first time and left it there for a day. Had a conversation with management, and it didn't go the way I wanted to. So I went upstairs, gave him the letter, said I'm stepping down to part time. This time, typed up a letter that morning saying I'm, I'm uh, announcing my resignation. Went upstairs when I got it because I was like I ain't sure if I'm ready, ready to do this. Mm. Went upstairs, put it on my locker this time. End of my shift, they called me in the office. They would say, hey, we're just going to uh, go ahead and part ways. Because I had already posted one of my letters online anyway, saying, like, um, pretty soon I'm going to be leaving my job. Oh. I know they got wind of it. Went in, put that, put the resignation letter in my locker. End of my shift. Like, they already they made already knew. They already you. knew. And I was just like, man, God, I was like, uh -uh, we ain't doing it this time. It's time for you to go. To so go, since go, then, go. I left. I haven't looked back. And... And the people that people that I work with, they reach out to me, tell me they miss seeing me at work, mm -hmm. and that's what I miss the most. Yeah, the that's not, that's the hard part too. Yeah, I but can see that. It was just like I just told them, like I just didn't feel like I was growing, and it was just time for me to you know do my own thing and um, just build something greater because I know God has something greater for me. So I was like, yeah. it was just time to, and like I said, and even when it was time for me to leave. That was it. Like it wasn't nothing, <laughs> like I didn't get nothing else. I just got a little that car for ten years, but other than that, it's like. So, it's nothing wrong with having a job and being loyal to their job. But at the end of the day, whenever they ready to walk you out, you a number. That's it. I mean, think about how many people like during the housing crash and then during COVID that like so many people reached out to me during COVID and was like, I got laid off, and they just were so shocked because they they didn't know that they were expendable like that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's that's a huge wake up call for people who are super like consistent in their life and they now are like. Oh well, like we gotta cut, we gotta cut the employees in order to save the business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they're not looking at it from that aspect. They're looking like y'all just you just cut me out, and now I don't have an income. Mm -hmm. So and it can happen to anybody at any given time. Any given time. At any given time, no matter how long you've been at a job, whenever they're ready to walk you out, that's it. That's and I'm it. not saying just up and quit your job or anything like that. Because I've but, done that. I did yeah. that with my other business, and it went terrible. Mm. And so I was like, "Woo!" Yeah. <laughs> so the second time, I did kind of, I got to a point, and a friend told me this. He said, "You're gonna get to a point where you have to choose. Like, there's no, there's no way." And it wasn't anything to do with like how I felt about it. It was like I cannot do both. And right. so I reached that crossroad. My boss wasn't trying to hear. It. He was ignoring all my emails. I'm coming to his office like I am quitting. Yeah. He was like, "No, you're not. You're gonna take my position." I had to go to HR to quit. So, right. you know what I mean? I've never spent, of course, it had to be the time I wanted to quit. If it was any other time, you know, right. it would be different. But, you know, I I was comfortable in my decision. Mm -hmm. Just like you saying, you're comfortable in your decision. And what, what really, I got two more questions, but no, I got to say ahead, this. Please. What really pissed me off about the job was, how I would look at how much stuff that I was doing for the job. I mean, I made good money as well. Um, but I was just looking at everything that I was doing for the job. And then... What rubbed me the wrong way is like you want to put in a time off request, get some oh, time yeah. off, and it gets denied. I'm like, hold up, man! I done came in and changed my 
shift for y'all and work these crazy schedules for y'all and doing all this and that for y'all and and making extra moves when I don't even have to. But then it's like the moment I need some time off, it gets rejected. I was like, nah. I, it that that really pissed me off. I'm Hell like, man, yeah. I'm I'm wrong, man. Like if if I don't want to come in, I ain't come. So it, that got that was another thing. So it got to a point where I was like, hey, I'm putting this in. I'm just letting you know I ain't gonna be here these days. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, with y'all that, do what y'all want to do. My, my final two questions, and we'll get ready to wrap it up. Man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Shit. Yeah, this, this is a, great. A great conversation. Yeah. My final two questions. If you could talk to your younger self, like what would you say to the younger Sheena? I've seen this question so many times. And um, I think maybe the only thing I would say, given how shy I was, was to just be more confident. I, I don't mm-hmm. even, you know, confidence spills into everything that you do. Um, so that legit, that's it. Because I, really, I had some kind of forward thought as a kid about something, not a clear picture, but I just never felt like, Oh, I should have forgave myself or anything. I was always like, meh. You know, I was I was just seemed like I was from somewhere else. But the only thing that I really had a problem with was confidence. Absolutely. And then my, my last and final question that I ask everyone at the end um, when I'm on the road, um, it's part of our tour, the Cross the Line Podcast self-investment tour. I love to ask everybody at the end, what does self-investment mean? Self-investment means um, understanding your weaknesses, understanding your gaps, and really trying to um, figure out how to, like, maximize yourself by filling in those gaps. Like, if you know you're not good at something for yourself or for your business, then you need to hire out. You need to learn about it. You need to improve on it. Um, Just making, you know, without without a monetary thing, making yourself better so you can be better to whatever that you're doing absolutely sheena thank you again for your time man i i really i really appreciate this um and i i know we planned like i said it took a few months to get everything <laughs> yeah. situated but I, I really appreciate it and thank you for taking the time to you know sit down and have a conversation and share your journey because like i said i feel like nowadays on social media only thing we see is the fi- the final product but we don't really get to know the people yeah and i think what they become along their journey is so important to like to every uh, as opposed to everything that they've acquired already right so right, thank right. you so much for the time before we get out of thank here you. can you tell everybody how to find you and also even um mention your um my course your, your course as well yeah so i'm on um what am i on i'm on instagram Um um also i'm on linkedin sheena parker i'm on tiktok but me and tiktok i love it love hate relationship but i'm on there and uh, my course is called govcon now and i teach about federal contracting local contracting corporate contracting and i also have a lot of stuff for my veterans um so i just teach you about how to utilize uh your business services and sell to the government or if you want to start a brand new business then you can uh figure out what you want to do in order to sell to the government or to a corporate agency Absolutely. Thank you again so much for this interview, Sheena. And uh, definitely look forward. Like I said, so happy we were able to sit down and have this conversation. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode of the Cross the Line Podcast. Like I said, also thank you to all the supporters. Coming soon, we will be in L.A. So thank you guys for that as well. So until next time, thank you. This is Cross the Line Podcast. Keep chasing your dreams. Thank you for listening. Bye.